0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We're
1: very excited to be here. We have some very special guests with us today.
0: On my right, Emmett Booth.
1: Woo!
2: Happy <laughs>
0: On my left, wait, wait, are we using, which, did hmm? you change your last name? No. Okay, good. It's good to know. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, wow, so opinionated. Sorry Time to ask.
0: Chloe Ketchup.
3: <laughs> Woo! Ow, ow.
0: Representing Not a Cast, Aswaf, and Girls Gone Cannon in their own house, ladies and gentlemen.
1: There's a lot of clapping on this episode. This
3: is, yeah, we're we're starting the clapping off real early. I feel like we're at a wrestling match. I do, like in one corner. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly.
1: That's the kind of energy we wanted to bring to the recording today. It
0: was. It, I had these headphones on, so it was really like that for me. I got to. I was. <laughs> the, the the reason I was talking like that mostly is because we're uh, using a different mic that I'm used to not not uh, not used to using for the podcast because we only have three mics today. So Hannah and I are splitting a mic that we never use. So if it sounds weird, if, or if,
1: I don't talk the if whole she doesn't podcast. talk the whole time,
0: or if I also <laughs> get into a rhythm where I don't talk the whole time, we were hoping that you guys would carry the show for us today. Oh, well, that's oh, nice wow. to know.
1: Thanks for letting us know that's good. now. So now right. you have we're gonna like, ask like, during like, one or, like, or two good questions, and then we'll just like let you guys go off, off to the, the races. races. You know? yeah, sounds exactly. fun. <laughs> so, but thanks for having us in your home. Thanks for being on our podcast. It's so much fun because I feel like we're all kind of coming out of... That quarantine loneliness. And so to be able to do this in person is just an extra special treat. So,
4: well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, I feel the same way. It's um, great to be seeing people again, honestly.
1: <laughs> Seriously, it's strange. And it's such a banger of a, of a chapter that I couldn't ask for a better vibe, honestly. Yeah. We're going to get real stabby today together. You know, <laughs> yeah. real, real good vibes
3: going on here, yeah. a little murdery. <laughs> it's going good. We're, uh,
0: talking about this is so weird having to lean in <laughs> we're we're talking about the epilogue of a dance of dragons and it's not the end of our reading order it feels like it could be i'm glad it's not i'm interested to see how the last two chapters we're doing uh, i think we have the queen's hand is the last one or the next one and then our last chapter in this reading order is going to be danny 10 And one of my prevailing thoughts when I was reading the epilogue today was how grateful I was for there being something that exists like the reading order because I really love the transition from coming out of what we did with Sam on our last podcast episode. Uh, Sam in Old Town going to this chapter was really satisfying. But also if you're reading in the normal published order and um, you're sort of obsessively remembering details, this would be one of those great moments where there's payoff for – Really caring about how the last book ended, the style that it ended, the contents of how it ended, because for one just the the white raven being connected from one scene to the next from being uh i forget what that section of old town's called uh, with all the ravens uh, that uh Marlon was staying at, but whatever that section of old town was whenever they go there, the white ravens all flying around and then now seeing one Kevin actually coming in contact with mm-hmm. the one by Py- cell study um like I said, really satisfying so there's like this little little Treats that George leaves laying around for us that you can be more into the story if you want to be, or you can be someone that just reads the latest fantasy book that's at Barnes and Noble on the new release section. You know, like those those rewards there. Those rewards are available for you if you if you want to have them. But uh, I, like I said, I really like the way that, that it felt going from Sam into this one. I thought that this chapter was freaking crazy mm-hmm. and we haven't been able to talk about it yet. So I'm really stoked to talk about it with you guys. I'm so glad that we get to talk about it with y'all because we're, we're all podcasting about the story and have been for years, which is basically just, we're recording conversations that we're having with each other or with our, with other friends that aren't here. And we're trying to figure out, I guess how each other feels about different parts of the story. But for me, I just have fun talking about books with friends, and so being able to do the podcast and just in having an excuse to do stuff like this, like we probably wouldn't have come here and hung out for another couple of weeks. I just saw you. <laughs> I just no, oh up. no, come to your house oh no. we had a reason. You haven't to come it. here yet. This is the first no, time you're no, no. visiting, right? No, that's true. That's and now true. You have a reason to be here. The last <laughs> time I saw y'all was at your wedding, and that was a really big reason for us to come together. <laughs>
2: yeah. and,
0: and if it wasn't such a big deal. We probably wouldn't have for a long time because we've also all been dealing with COVID, but you had a great reason for us all to come together and we're going to we're gonna do it again, uh, which is awesome that you guys are doubling up on the celebrations, by <laughs> the way. That's pretty badass. But w- this has given us an excuse to talk all the time. And you guys living in the same house and meeting each other over the story as well are, are really uh, living the example of how cool things can be whenever we just really commit to liking stuff and being into stuff as much as what this conversation is today and uh the other side of that the really simple personal part of it the non-social one but the one that um I think is is between you and your brain and that it's like when Theon uh, cuddles up underneath the great Werewood tree and uh the godswood and Winterfell that that personal spot of yours I really got to feel today when I was reading this chapter because uh when I was in it I just felt so lucky to be able to have such a fun, good thing to read. And that's been my thought. It's been probably part of the the chill feeling that's been over me today because I've been looking forward to having this conversation because the chapter was so good and it was so enjoyable just to read it and to have a a, a good time reading it. And I feel like George, he he really knows how to... Sorry, I'm going to completely just invade your personal space. (laughs) He... He really knows how to give it to you whenever it's time. You know what oh, I'm saying? Yeah. Now, imagine, imagine you're sleeping with him.
3: Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> go this this is got go really intimate really fast.
0: <laughs> He's, he, Do he, I have to?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you should. You how much <laughs> are you paying
3: us for this, Zach? No, I'm just kidding.
0: He could build up over the course of a whole book if, he, if, he, if you want. But in a moment like this, in this epilogue, through a character that he doesn't have to split their point of view over and their growth, their ability to recognize things changing over the course of a whole book. We just have this one chapter with Kevin. I feel like he just gives it to you. He gives oh, yeah. you the stuff that you want to know about. <laughs> we we see the two sides of uh, the current greatest power in King's Landing be represented by the, uh, excuse me, by the green Tyrells on one side of the throne room. And we see, on the other side of the throne room, the lancers, the lancers dressed in crimson. We see the uh, the throne and what was that quote? Do you want to read that quote of the uh, the Iron Throne? Give me away from the microphone.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was right at the... So I feel like from the beginning of the chapter, like you're saying, um, it pops off really fast, really early. It's just really well written, I think is kind of what you're trying to say. And I know that yeah. that's like yeah. a little bit of a cliche thing to say about A Song of Ice and Fire, but I feel like... As we progress through the books, and especially being here at the end, it's like George is giving us his best, like Mm -hmm, your metaphor. I'm gonna use a different metaphor instead of us sleeping with him, but he could build
0: you up for a long time, or he can just give you right to this chapter. Why are you so quiet?
1: Specifically, this with this <laughs> cock was, right. the, was the metaphor, though Maybe I do want to come back to that. I had nothing to add yeah. yet. <laughs> well, I'm going to read this part, this passage, just to kind of set the scene at the beginning of the chapter, and then we can really dive into it. But this is at the very beginning, as they're all kind of standing around having a conversation to pick up from what you were saying. um Lannister spearmen in crimson cloaks and lion crested half helm stood along the west wall of the throne room. Tyrell guards in green cloaks faced them from the opposite wall. The chill in the throne room was palpable. Though neither Queen Cersei nor Queen Marjorie was amongst them, their presence could be felt poisoning the air like ghosts at a feast. Behind the table where the five members of the king's small council were seated. The Iron Throne crouched like some great black beast, its barbs and claws and blades half shrouded in shadow. Kevin Lannister could feel it at his back, an itch between the shoulder blades." It was easy to imagine old King Eris perched up there, bleeding from some fresh cut, glowering down. But today, the throne, roo- the th- but today the throne room was empty.
0: I think you added the word room in there.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. I did. But to- but today, the throne was empty.
0: You yeah, know, the throne room had people in it. Yeah, it's where they are.
1: <laughs> My bad. Anyway, it just sets the stage. I-, I feel like it-, it just sets the stage really well for this character that we don't often get to be in his head. Mm. Well, ever. And he has such a, as we kind of come to find at the very end of the chapter, he has a, uh, he's doing a good job for once. I feel like he's one of the only people out here currently in the game right now, pretty much doing his best and like actually doing a good job. It doesn't last very long, but um, things are happening and it's snowing and we've got all of this happening in the throne room.
0: He made enough of a difference to make, or he's making enough of a difference to make. Varys do something himself to actually Varus get his own hands dirty to actually personally try to interact with the plan or at least I guess make a plan happen I mean before this moment happened did you all know how much Varys was personally invested
4: in seeing what future he wanted for the realm to happen well he talked enough about it, it just wasn't really clear what the vessel was gonna be I think there was enough evidence for even a casual reader before dance to assume Varys was in on Danny's restoration because he was talking to Illyrio and he's, you know, he seems to always have a plan in his back pocket. He was around during King Aerys' day. Um, But uh, through most of Feast and Dance, we don't actually see Varys. People Mm -hmm. assume they know what he might be up to. He vanishes after uh, helping Tyrion escape.
1: So you kind of forget about him, almost, sort you of.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're, you're focused on new characters and new POVs, and the only time he's even close to directly brought up is in regards to the young Griff plot, because Tyrion is spending time with them. Varys sent him in that direction. He was hanging out with Illyrio. So I think, you know, by the, by the time you get to this epilogue, you can put the pieces together to just go, oh, okay, so Varys' plan is probably to put... Uh, the supposed egg on the sixth on the throne. But yeah, I don't think you really understand until he gives the speech at the end of this chapter, that this is what he's been thinking about and working on 24 seven since we've known him and long before we've known him that this was And there. I think there is definitely a catharsis to that, that, you know, this mysterious character is finally putting his cards on the table, if only to a man who's about to die. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, for sure. And, and also showing, I mean, George chose, chose this moment to show us how a lot of his subterfuge has worked this little window into his little birds and to, I guess, like I said, him getting his hands dirty physically. It, there was much more confusion about Varys before, but I feel like now after reaching the end of this, of a dance with a dance with dragons, we're getting a, 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 one of the questions about the series, one of the elements, almost for me, one of the elements of magic, because really early for me, and I think it's not just with the books. I think they do it pretty successfully in the TV show too. The Varus and and Baelish dynamic is kind of it's kind of like magic in the story. You're like, what can they do? How good are they at doing this? How much do they know? How deep does this go with them? And uh, what are they willing to to do? And I think most importantly, like, what's it, what's this going to look like at the end? It's like when you think about the White Walkers and you see Hardhome, or you uh, read about an early exchange with the White Walkers, you you think about the uh, the fist of the first men, and it's like okay, well, if this is happening now at the beginning of the story, ice spiders, I mean, like, just imagine what it's going to look like fighting at the Black Gate, that, that sort of scenario, whenever the, the horrors of, of what the, the White Walkers really have at their disposal become an actual part of the story. It's like that. But, mm-hmm. but uh, we got a layer of it kind of removed because we saw Varys. We heard him, and he kind of expresses himself more than he normally does. And he's uh, emotionally charged, and he's still polished, uh, but it's there. And I don't know. I was, for me, that was a really cool moment to finally come in contact with. And uh, the, when, the first time I read it, I was, uh, I, thought some, I thought I thought had to reread it at the end of it probably like four or five times because I thought that I was missing some kind of weird magical thing happening. I thought that there was something going on weird with those kids. I was like, what is this? Are they undead? Are they some kind of like animated bodies or what is it? But it seems to me that they're just Poor kids that he's been able to manipulate with money. What do you guys think?
3: Well, it's interesting because I mean, regarding how Varys and his his birds, right? His whole entire idea of the birds, when Varys leaves the page and we stop seeing him as a person on the page in Tyrion's second chapter and dance, he then we don't see him till the epilogue first up close. However, we learn in those Tyrion chapters about Varys' youth. We're told from Illyrio to Tyrion, Varys grew up in Pentos, stealing and lying right. and learning. He grew up with little mice, is what he says first. Right. He explains his tastes for young girls and boys to them. And so that's given to you in those chapters as just, oh, here's background information about yeah. Varys. But then it's translated in this epilogue to where here's Varys up Today. front and center. Yeah. And, and George obviously is playing with that. Even more past A Dance with Dragons because he brought in Tyana of the Tower for Magor's plot, right? And uh, Fire and Blood, it's expanded on. But she is brought back as a Pentoshi witch that has her own vermin that does the same thing with the same secret They're called vermin? Yes. And they're
0: just spies for her? Do they live in that town?
3: Just spies in King's Landing. Okay. It's spies that she's raised in Kingsland with okay. her own spies, and she is from Pentos. She's the same exact back. thing. So he's playing with the same thing in yeah. another Mistress of Whispers situation. Hmm. And I think it's interesting to see that flipped on another character, the same idea, and uh, especially from the perspective of, oh, it's a witch. Get her. But, <laughs> so, but varies. he yeah. takes that power vacuum, right? And he just swims around in it and uses it to his advantage. And this chapter especially, right, you have the first – one-third, two-thirds. It's business as usual. It's another day at the Iron Throne, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. We're all clocking in. We're doing our hours. We're, oh, here's the tedious crap about sending armies here. Got to send grain here. It's They're another day. are pulling out the big maps. Like yeah. they mm-hmm. got the- yeah. And
0: painted. <laughs> yeah.
3: And it's like it takes ten to screw in a light bulb, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Cersei might not do it right, but at least it'd be done by now. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's the, you have the all the machinations of bureaucracy and then Varys at the end trying to, to cut through it. And put his uh, his perfect candidate in charge. So all those all those frustrations of of, of governance, and then here's here's his solution to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at, at first this chapter is just very very bureaucratic, like you're saying. It's the Lannisters versus the Tyrells, and it's the threat of the the oncoming um, the Mummers' Dragon of Egon the Sixth and John Connington, Feigned Boy, the Feigned Boy, as as, as they start calling him. And we start with uh, with Red Ronan Connington, that asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who uh, was mean to Brienne, and then she she beat up in the melee, and then Jamie beat up uh, at Hall. His story's just getting beat up over and over again, and, and uh, it, probably, it probably is going to continue happening, because he says he wants to he wants to take on John Kahn. Uh, he says, I am no traitor, I am King Tommen's man and yours at the start of the chapter. Which mm-hmm. is interesting, because uh, he fought for Renly mm-hmm. at the start of the war, <laughs> and then Stannis at the Blackwater, so... A bit rich for him to be talking about his undying loyalty to the right. Lannisters. <laughs> He's been, he could, you know, he could just as easily jump sides again. I don't think he probably will, will die first, but he could just as easily. I was going to say it's the same story
0: with all those guys, basically, except Randall, right? And I think mm-hmm. Randall might even, if push comes to shove, become somebody that as weakly with their word. But it seems to me that when when Mace was talking about the Golden Company and basically saying that they're worthless, just imagine how quickly after all this shit that's going down now with uh, Pycelle and Kevin being murdered within King's Landing and whatever trials are, are soon to approach, how quickly he'll partner with them if he could, mm-hmm. if they would support him in some way. Like, or just
1: thinking about how quickly things can w- can and may escalate with the Golden Company. If you got Mace Tyrell, he's the Hand of the King at this time. And I know that we know from, spoilers I guess, if you mm-hmm. don't want to read the sample chapters, but I know that we know from the sample chapters that Cersei regains power fairly quickly within the Seven Kingdoms or whatever, not the Seven Kingdoms, probably, whatever. <laughs> um, she doesn't immediately King's get Land, killed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so either... You know, who who, how, who knows? And we can talk about that kind of how and speculate how that might come to pass. But it makes me think about the Golden Company is this big issue, especially for Kevin, and then they're just going to be able to do their thing. King's Landing is going to be prime for everybody to lay prey to because everybody is so kind of wrapped up in their own drama, which I mean, I, I understand like to Mace Tyrell, like his kids are in danger. So I guess... Whether he's working with other people to continue with the chaos or like um, subdue the conversations about the Golden Company or whatever is another conversation to kind of distract things on purpose. I don't know. We can talk about that. But what was I saying? Hard to say. But uh, what I was (laughs) (laughs) the point I'm trying to make is that the Golden Company is just going to be left all these enemies that are making their Mm. way to King's Landing eventually and kind of they have their sights set there are just being left to do whatever they want to do. And I think that Kevin has the right idea of trying to subdue them when they can before things get oh, yeah, too yeah. out of hand. But, you know, Varys obviously wants the chaos to continue. And so it um, gets rid of the one person who seemingly has some sort of head on his shoulders to try to handle the situation. But it's going to be interesting to watch as King's Landing is so wrapped up in his own self while everybody kind of descends on on there.
0: Yeah, it's like Kevin was saying about having the, you don't want the gutters filled with blood
1: <laughs> before
0: <laughs> before the Golden Company or John Kahn or uh, Young Griff actually try to make their way
4: to King's Landing. It's like, that could all happen right now from the inside. It's a bunch of cracks spreading across ice and Varys would like the Lannisters to plunge through, as quickly as they may. It keeps coming up in this chapter. Kevon tells Randall Tarly we have to um, play nice with the Faith because there are enough other challengers out there that we could push the faithful into mm-hmm. the arms of somebody else if we pissed them off too much and he says you know in terms of paying off our loans in terms of uh you know uh, paying off the golden company paying our loans to the iron bank uh we can't do that right now because we we're our regime is so fragile that we don't want to raise taxes because as kevin says a lot of the lords in the realm th- basically think of taxes as tyranny so if we raise taxes on them they're going to be running off to this pretender or to stanis the and first so, one And so it doesn't – and so you realize it doesn't really matter if the kid is Egon or not or how strong he is right now because for a lot of people, not being the Lannisters could be enough. Mm -hmm. And so Kevon sees his job as making the Lannisters an attractive, you know, political camp again. And that's what Varasir is in on is he wants to keep the Lannisters looking bad.
1: Well, it it makes me think about – it's like you're – what kind of – what could have happened if Kevin stayed in power and if he had the opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of subdue this Aegon plot and if he would have, I, I assume, and you guys can chime in if you feel the same, that he's Aegon is going to be this m- big rival for Daenerys and like is really going to come into play and in that storyline is going to maybe kind of give Daenerys a run for her money and what that might have looked like or what things might be if he if the Lannisters did regain or or continue with like some semblance of power seemingly sane Um, ruling happening in King's Landing versus the chaos that we're going to see. And, you know, uh, Kevin, he's spending that first
3: two thirds of this chapter doing all that bureaucracy and doing a damn fine job of it, right? Like he's doing everything he's been told to, everything his big brother probably could have done or would have done. He's wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing what Tywin would have done? And he's doing fine. For a world that doesn't have a queen with dragons coming across the sea for you. For a world that doesn't have the Golden Company. And you guys coming off of Dragon Tamer too, I'm sure you can appreciate the implications of Dorne. Uh, Dorne's already on yeah. their way oh, yeah. right now. So in the Winds of Winter, we'll see Tyene with the Faith, right? We'll see her in the background of Cersei's chapters probably. Uh, we'll see Nemeria whispering in her ear just like Tyena did. Uh, We'll see all these really interesting things happen and the enmity that has been rising between the Greens – Right between the Tyrells and the Lannisters and not just the Lannisters but also the Dornish. Cersei has already said oh, I'm sick of these Lannisters Tom and I'm going to give you a Dornish men to train you from now on. She's already saying yeah yeah screw screw these flowered Tyrells I'm done with them. I guess I'll just shack up with Dorn. but going back to what you said of the gutters being filled with blood. The gutters have been filled with blood for decades mm-hmm. for the Lannisters and they have failed to acknowledge that and they have gone on eating through heaven while everyone suffers and while the Dornish continue to suffer and lose. And, I mean, with Quentin dying at Daenerys's hand, that's that train's going to Aegon. I mean, that's what is not being calculated here of the Dornish. They just assume the Dornish are going to roll over for them like they have. That's what they think. Uh, they're about to be in a world of trouble, and it's magical now. There's dragons. There's the Golden Company. Kevin can rule fine in a normal day, maybe back in the two eighties or the two nineties, but it's not the two eighties or two
1: nineties, right? And there's no money, there's no Kingsgar, there's nothing. The Great Plague yeah. is coming again. Mm-hmm.
4: Kevin says he has to keep, he has to find a way to keep the Dornish out of uh, forming an alliance with Jon Connington and Egon, especially before Daenerys shows up, so he can see these links in the chain coming, and that you know he has to be uh, removed to make room for the more short-sighted people we see surrounding him at the council table at the start of the chapter. We see Pycelle who is, has been there forever, but just isn't useful. Like as Kevin points out, all Picel is good for is references. Like right. <laughs> here's what happened 30 years ago at, spot, at like, this spot at this spot. Here's what happens 10 years ago. Kevin's the same way though, as you see throughout his POV. Like he sure. was also just thinking about, hey, I remember when the Mad King was up there. So you're doing the same thing, dude. You got old without realizing it. And now you're kind of stuck in that mentality too. Uh, mace tyrell's of the same generation and is very nostalgic for his own non-existent accomplishments randall tarley who actually did the hard work is right there probably planning to literally stab him in the back at some right. point like yeah. zach was saying i guarantee tarley's going over
3: the ruse uh, the of Golden the company
4: yep and um harris harris swift who's just the comic relief of this chapter a just <laughs> right. ridiculously useless man who refuses to do his the, job what if we get the dornish to do it for us what if anyone but me <laughs> should oh, do well my they job will for get me. ready. <laughs> So there's, I mean, this is part of the problem you see with Cersei is that she didn't want anyone who was smarter than her or more competent than her around. So Kevon's just left with this kind of institutional rot. But that's a holdover from Robert's days, too. So he is just, he has no one competent to work with, really. Uh, as Hannah said, the Kingsguard also is, is in decline. So there's no one really there to help him out. So I think he's. I think Kevon's a perfectly fine middle manager, but he's nostalgic for when he didn't have to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's For when Tywin was around. But, uh, you know, as, as uh, Jamie says it in Feast, he wondered how his father would feed the realm, and then he remembered his father was dead. Yeah. And that's Kevon in this chapter, too. Like, oh, right, my brother's not here anymore. So as you say, if Varys hadn't have
0: picked this as the right moment to intervene, mm-hmm. and I love how you say Kevon instead of Kevin,
4: just give him a, give him a it? little bit of fanciness. Yeah. He's, you know. It's, it, it is a. He's too old and noble to be Kevin. <laughs> right?
0: It, it just it makes him sound kind of funny when we're just like. Kevin's so, a kid with a backwards right, baseball yeah. cap. <laughs> so so Kevin came in here and decided.
1: That's I said. <laughs> Motherf- Kevin, the
0: regent protector of the Kevin realm. Kevin again. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try for you to say Kevon. I don't know if I'm going to be able to Kevan But I'm going to try Kevan I
3: can't promise I'll be consistent throughout the entire episode Kev- sure. Kevan. Right. Kevan, Lannister It's Kevan Kevan Who cares
0: Kevin Lannister What about him Gets uh,
3: murder trained all the same Oh god so sad
0: <laughs> If he hadn't been interrupted By Varys <laughs> Interrupted Yeah, <I'm> just,
3: yeah. <laughs> He should have never let him monologue yeah. That was his first mistake
0: Oh god that was so Last satisfying Last hearing Hearing oh, yeah, Var- Varys monologue So good <laughs> It seemed like to me th- the vibe of the room was these dudes have been waiting to be in charge of King's Landing their whole life. They've never been group A, even though they felt like they
4: were group A, especially expect. You know, you know, Randall Tarley has felt that way. Sure, because he's resentful about Mace, and then Mace is resentful about everyone else, which is why he had that hand thrown just <laughs> waiting Sitting in on the back hand. room. I'm, my butt is to being cupped by a large wooden hand.
3: I know. Respect me. <laughs> No one does, but you should.
4: It's yeah, this shell game of everyone's got a chip on their shoulder. Right, like Mace is mad that no one takes the Tyrells seriously. Randall's yes. mad that Mace doesn't take him seriously. And Harris Swift is mad that no one takes him seriously. And Kevon was always the second in command. Right, you're right. It's just here's the B League. Yeah, that mm-hmm. the people who were never Tywin or yeah. Robert or Rhaegar. Right, you know the it's, obvious superstars.
0: It's like whenever the stuff was going down with the Mad King. Originally, whenever Robert's Rebellion was, not just that, but all of the drama surrounding the Mad King, things like Summer Hall, things like how the tournament happened, those guys were always on the wings. And they, sure. they were all—they were always aware that some kind of vacuum is about to sprout out of this. And I think that they probably thought that they were in the running for it. But imagine decades later and you're just getting older than you already were That when that opportunity arose, mm-hmm. how pissed off they got to be. And so now they're finally in this position and I think that it's kind of a miracle that Kevon is <laughs> is doing such a good job at, at like at the end when when he gets a little bow from Mace. It's not. It's like it's like Kevon says. It's like it's not everything, but it's something. <laughs> sure. I just think the fact that they're not at each other's throats, that they're actually working together, trying to find a way to move forward. I know that they have to use each other to do that. Uh, is kind of a miracle when you think about how much Cersei, how much damage Cer- Cersei's done of late. And it's kind of cool that this dude found out a way to sort of hold it all together. And I think that they, apart from, um, and we, and you guys can tell me what you all think about this, apart from just going and, and gelding the church themselves, just taking every, all the sparrows out forcibly and saying, all right, enough of this crap, like the way Thank Randall... Boy. The way exactly. Mm-hmm. The way Randall suggests it. Um, apart from doing that, I think uh they think or I think that this is probably the best thing that they could poss- possibly do to prepare for the future that's coming, even with the Sand Snake on its way, even with Young Griff and John Con on their way, even with whatever's happening in the north happening, even with the ironborn to the west. Um, it feels like this is probably the best thing they could have done. And that's, the, I think, the the feeling that I got whenever Kevon was in his uh, his bedroom, basically, hanging out. Gave me serious, hairy and private drive, private drive vibes. <laughs> Just the safety of his bedroom and all of his belongings and looking through his journal and stuff. Like, if that's, like, it's sort of decompressing from the drama of the summer. Um, um, I don't know what point I was trying to make, but either way, I thought you did a good job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh yeah, I was going to ask, what you all think that this would have turned into Varys had to stop this because this is the best way to destabilize it. You take this guy out and it's not just the suspicions that people are going to have about who did it. That's going to take care of the situation. Like he says in his monologue, but it's also just the, this person holding it all together. He was like the, the balance, the glue that allowed these people to work together, even though Tyrell won't stop trying to overdo the balance with his own Mm -hmm. game, even though Randall is too rough and gritty. To handle all this on his own because he's going to start using uh, the the edge of the sword the the strength of the edge of the sword that's going to start cutting people instead of being soft enough to like manage the situation. Um, This might not be the best question to ask from it, but um, I guess just your thoughts about the situation and also what could it have been otherwise if this hadn't happened and I guess what will happen? Like, what do you think? What do you what do you three think will happen now that Kevin that sort of glue, like I said, is is now gone?
3: I mean. The, the thing that strikes me the most is especially the language, right? We just had how many chapters ago, John, again, one of the only guys left reluctantly to step up and lead the, you know, would be willing to go the mile to get the work done the right way or how he was taught was the right way. And it, it strikes me that their deaths are pretty imagery heavy, similar, right? With the stabbing, yeah. uh, nothing but the knife, daggers in the dark. And uh, even the onomatopoeia, there's there's this moment in the beginning Ooh, of this word. chapter. I love saying it. Say it again, you know, onomatopoeia. <laughs> but in the beginning, there's a drip, drip, drip of the snow mm. on Kevin's cloak yeah. melting. And then by the end of the chapter, it's his blood that's dripping. Mm. Uh, and it's like it goes from every day at work to horror at the very end and suspense and terror a little bit for him. And it's like – the problem is that he's the only one left with the cojones to lead, okay? Like, these guys, Mace isn't going to step up. He uh, he would fall over his feet. Uh Randall would like to step up and then tear out everyone's private parts their really and their eyeballs and call off. himself king. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's not – again, he's the reaches roost. He's not the one we want to step up, hmm. and he's going to step to the wrong way when he does. He's going to step to Agen for sure.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh,
3: it, it's just in- – Interesting. It, I mean, we're going to see – that red and green, right? The, the Lannister guards, and we have the Tyrells on the other side, and it's not to be topical, but it's the Dance of the Dragons come again, right? You have the ideas that are swirling around with the faith from Magor. then you have the thoughts of Darren I uniting the kingdoms uh, and failing and being betrayed in Dorne and having the Tyrells in Dorne fail at that and that enmity still being between them. And uh, this time, it's just there's the Lannisters at the helm, and now there's one Lannister at
1: mm-hmm. the helm. The last Lannister that you want to be. (laughs) The the least productive (laughs) Lannister at the helm. It just it makes me wonder too, kind of what Cersei's role may have been if she if Kevin had made it as well. Like how long it would have taken for her to get back in the game or regain some of that power well, because... Well, she's asking for hostages. That's right. like the
4: creepiest part of that little conversation she has with Kevin is, so when's your wife
1: coming exactly. to court? Exactly.
4: There's no reason, obviously, you know, Cersei doesn't like people, so there's no reason for her to wander there for company. It's 100% I want a hostage. Exactly. Same thing with bringing Taina back. That's Cersei that. blames because That's why he wants to... Taina's son around. You so. know, I
0: think I, Taina needs to come back. I think I need her and her kid. We really need them. We would have such party. fun. Yeah. And there's that,
4: <laughs> right. that chilling aspect. And I love that little scene. Um, and I love when uh, um, Kevon is saying now, my wife is uh, her place is in Lannisport, and Cersei says it's a wise woman who knows her place, mm. and yeah, it's, she's so obviously sarcastic that Kevon picks up on it like what do you mean by that and Cersei says I thought it was perfectly clear mm-hmm. yeah. and of course because Cersei thinks her place is in charge so mm-hmm. it's a nice little kind of double-sided line from her that indicates that she her, her claws are not actually as pulled right. as Kevon would like to assume right well
1: all the while he's thinking she's so demure with the so, hood up and yeah the, she's very, very modestly dressed and it's this whole thing it's like you nope, no. suck such think a that. sucker and so seeing what that so her child five days from this chapter and kind of seeing the series of events between now and that trial and how all these kind of people come into play with that. I think it's going to be very interesting. And it's kind of curious to me, like you look at somebody, you were talking, Zach, about all these people who were kind of B-listers before and now they're finally at the quote unquote playing on the A-team. But I, how do they not see that they're tied to this sinking ship? Like you think about Mace Tyrell, why doesn't he marry Marjorie off to... Fagan or something like why don't they get sure. into the mix like s- seeming seems that the it's a sinking ship in King's Landing you've got to be able to see that while you're I mean while everything's the going on, on but, the Titanic right? Sure. <laughs> well, I
3: mean, as,
4: as Kevin points out Mace stuck with the Mad King to the end too that's mm-hmm. true and that's Mace true. didn't suffer for it because he's Mace Terrell and mm-hmm. he has the biggest army and mm-hmm. even, he had a much bigger army than Robert actually all through the war and he's got he's the richest other than Tywin, he's the richest man in the country so i think he just not without reason i think he assumes that he just has a permanent get out of jail free card sure. and that if this ship sinks he's going to be able to jump off cuz hey he, he did has. he always has <laughs> and eventually true. that catches up to you but i don't i think i think Terrell is a very just arrogant and kind of detached dude but i think he has i think he understands um how to use power to keep himself and his family alive. And that's clearly his focus on this For chapter. For sure. Um, and, uh, just, you know, some guys can't even do that. So.
3: Mm-hmm. And, you know, Emmett said something, earlier and earlier Emmett and I had a great conversation before you guys came here you guys were stuck in traffic (laughs) and uh no I mean we are we're recording the conversation now but we had a great conversation about that line with Cersei who's like it's a wise woman who knows her place and how especially with the next chapter you'll be covering with Danny 10 it's such a correlation between that and Daenerys's I am but a young woman who knows little of the ways of war and how Mm -hmm. they use that and as we get to the end of this epilogue uh, and at the end of Daenerys Ten, both women are in very similar positions and about to rise from the ashes. Whether good, whether bad, for either, uh, they're they're both stuck in Daenerys Ten versus Cersei Ten in a Feast for Crows. They're both stuck in the towers, right? Or her for her in the grass in the Great Grass Sea. Uh, both not feeling great. Mm-hmm. One maybe not feeling better than the other, but they're being Cersei's being woken up over and over. Uh, Cersei gets a visit from her magical mentor Kyburn, and Daenerys gets hers with Quaithe, mm-hmm. right? Who and both of them are basically they're reborn right there, and they're told, "Oh, there's hope for me to still do what I want to do and embrace you know fire and blood for Daenerys, uh, embrace the lion within her for Cersei." And they both even say, like, do they fear me dead? What are they thinking about me right now? And for better or for worse, both of those women at the end of A Dance with Dragons are reborn as all these men die. All these men die and they are reborn for whatever they're going to do in the next book.
1: Mm -hmm. What do you think that – so what in Cersei's rebirth comes for her? And do we think – how is Varys maybe going to – help continue to breed that chaos with i'm kind of thinking about the trial that's coming up like do we think that he may have mm-hmm. some sort of play in how sir robert that's his name yeah robert strong <laughs> sir, robert sir robert strong, strong. a new um, knight to the area yeah everyone's like who is this guy the um silent knight. does like does varus really think that sir robert strong is strong enough to actually defeat the other side or is he going to manipulate the situation somehow and then what does Cersei's next steps look like for her
3: I guess the trial is the question because if her trial and according to the Winds of Winter spoilers we already know she's good and it kind of suggests that her trial was actually not a trial by combat it ended up being the trial by faith right is the going what I know of the knowledge so I think it's probably like the next trial—is there going to be another trial? Because I think she's getting out of her trial somehow. Marjorie's going to get out of probably. She'll be Gucci for now until you know, off with her Anne Boleyn little head. Uh, but <laughs> that thing—I think it's going to roll. But I, I think I'm pretty sure that her trial. I don't think that it could have ended in like battle, battle because we don't hear about it in that chapter being a battle.
4: Do we hear? Isn't it all we know is just that they're talking about that they're the Queen's men. Yeah, Mercy, I don't think they talk about... I assumed it was still to be a trial by battle because that's why she wants Robert Strong to have the White Cloak so he can uh, uh, defend her.
3: Yeah, but But hold on. That's what Qyburn
4: was worried about. Plus,
0: who's going to beat him, honestly?
4: Yeah, whoever the faith puts up, whether it's... um, Lancel. Lancel or Theoden, what's his name? Uh, Yeah, whoever the faith puts up, I think, goes down hard to Robert Strong, I imagine. Yeah. No one's going to... I do like that Kevon kevon basically knows who it is and he oh, knows yeah. that mace and randall also know who it is but they're like none of us have an incentive to say this out loud because then we have to admit that we're working with a zombie yeah which- especially if the Martells are coming to town again so we have to we're all just going to pretend that that's not there that's yeah which is it gets back to the magic stuff you were saying like even when magic does crop up in king's landing why talk about it
3: well what the fuck what's going on <laughs> Okay, I got the real you, you details please. here. Yes. So it's Marjorie wins her trial, right? Because we know Mace ends up marching on Storm's End. So right. Marjorie wins her trial.
4: Because he said he wouldn't leave until that happened.
3: Exactly. So that's the logic that he left, or he just doesn't give a shit about his daughter anymore, which did he the whole time? <laughs> I mean, he says he does, but is it her he's worried about or the Tyrell? Im- I mean, they're out of girls, you know, mm-hmm. to marry off. So anyways, uh, you know, in for a penny, out for a dragon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Cersei is found innocent in her trial by battle, as alluded to. So it, we don't know if it is battle or not. I'm curious if it's going to be battle or if... Is she gonna pull some crap off? Like I am devout and demure. You're right, Hannah. I, Cersei, am devout and demure. And I don't know, but maybe it is just she kills Lancel. But we <sighs> really need that book.
4: Oh, I know. Sure. Not
3: trying to be needy, but I'm just it. It, it could be nice. I
1: could read to it. get some sort of answers yeah. because well, we Cersei got knows none.
4: if she if she, go, if she like goes up against an actual court, she's screwed. I think <laughs> she knows that combat is her only way out.
1: What is it? That? Um, and that's
4: that's why you know because that's why she was like oh I need that's why she wanted Jamie back was mm-hmm. to defend her in a trial by combat.
3: Who's left besides Robert Strong? No one. No I mean, one.
4: Well, it's it's uh, Boros Blount and Marin Tranty are their other options. So that's why she's going with Robert Strong. Yeah. Boros completely leaning into what he seems like, huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The uh, uh, the gray with a food taster. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So yeah. It's, it seems like a given that both both queens win their trials, and then after that. I think uh, a lot of what Cersei does next has to do with the the seventh member of the Small Council coming to break the Lannister mm-hmm. Tyrell ties. Nymeria mm-hmm. Sand, uh, Oberyn's daughter, because um, <sighs> uh, you know, as we saw with Tynna, Cersei's already uh, de- developed a taste for for any lady who can present themselves as, 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 as sultry or exotic to Lannister eyes. Yeah. So, or submissive. Right. We might, <laughs> we might. We might. We both, might be seeing something else there again. Both of those yep.
0: things she really likes. Mm-hmm. She yeah. likes them to remind her of herself, to be formidable, but to also True. submit to her to ultimately true. submit to her, yeah.
4: So that could, uh, I think. Um, I think Cersei and her uh, kind of relationship to power might, yeah, have something to do with the Dornish coming to town. It's gonna be so cool to see that. What do you got, Chloe?
3: I've got a big one. I'm sitting on a. I'm sitting on a dragon's egg over here, Zach. I'm. <laughs> I'm warming it up. I, <laughs> no, I. I don't know. I think no matter which way the winds a winner goes, it's leading to a sack of King's Landing, too. Is what it's leading to, and. It, I mean, I think Cersei's going to be led like a lamb to that slaughter. Cersei is look. Once Tommen's gone, Tommen's probably going to die. I mean, there's poison, there's sand snakes. There's uh, he's
1: too much of a sweetie he's to so survive. I feel so you
4: bad. Mm-hmm. The only kid in this chapter full of old sad men.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's got to die, just like the other ones. You know, eye for an eye. Break open that golden crowns and rock. golden
4: shrouds. Yeah, yep. this is guaranteed.
3: And they all have to per that, whether there's a prophecy or not. Like even without the prophecy, it's. I mean, it's pure tragedy for Cersei to completely bring herself down bit by bit. And I have a strong feeling to bring back, again, girl power, girl boss, gatekeep, gaslight, you know, the whole <laughs> eat, pray, love, nine yards. Um, I think the Dornish are going to convince Cersei to crown Marcella. And okay. I think that does a couple things. Uh a, it makes everyone go, what the hell stain on history is this that you crown some woman for this finally? No council, no whatever, you know, after all the centuries of no woman on the throne. Uh I think Marcella being crowned is a total idea and hoax because the Dornish are like, cool, put her on there, Tristane's wife. Yeah, they're gonna Tristane will rule by her side, but that's when they drop the black and red banners out there. They drop the Whoa. Martell banners. Uh, they open the gates, pie Cell style, right? Open the gates yeah. for the Dornish to come through with Tristain, ready to come marry and be with Queen Marcella. It's not that. It's going to be slashy, slashy, kill, kill. Who knows? Cersei might escape for a little bit. We've mm. been, we've been mathing it out. It's just real hard. There's just so many thoughts. But mm. I just, I think they might crown Myrcella. They already tried it once. It was Doran's goal in A Storm of Swords. When Doran first, when Doran sends Oberyn, Oberyn tells Tyrion, hey, here's a fun idea. What if we crown Myrcella? And then Rien's like... Here's a fun idea. What if we crown Marcella? And <laughs> yeah. now Marcella's coming with them to King's Landing and the is gonna be like, hey, here's a fun idea. You have another kid still, Cersei. And honestly, why shouldn't
1: a woman rule? It, yeah. I kind of like the idea of before Daenerys arrives too, that like a woman is on the you. throne. Yeah, totally. The Lannisters have
3: ruined it. Cersei, then they put Marcella on the throne and they just slaughter him. I mean, that ruins that throne for the future. Like it should have been easy. It could have been easy for our wonderful dragon queen to come back with everything, but all these things that have fallen just in the right places, it makes yeah. it a lot harder for her, especially when Aegon saves the city from this horrible Lannister regime. Yeah. The cards are set up mm-hmm. to make her look like shit. <laughs> it's not her fault, but.
4: The faith will support Aegon, you think, coming oh, yeah. yeah. He was
3: raised, as right. Varys says.
4: Right. In the mysteries of the faith, which Jannie was not. And yeah, it's all in how you look, which is. I think, you know, what the Mummer's Dragon prophecy is about and what Varus understands in terms of the nature of powers, he told Tyrion that it's, you know, you don't, you don't succumb to power, really. You project power into things, mm-hmm. and that's where they get their strength from. And that's what Grift as they said, he's got this whole speech about Young Grift has done. He's clearly this mantra he's developed. He's going to sell people on on Nega on the sixth that you know he's lear- he's learned to be hungry. He's gone through hardships. He's learned to fish. He's learned to swim. He's trained at swords. He's learned from books. He's learned from the faith. He's just he's go- he's going down this this bullet list of everything. And he says, you know, to Tommen, Tommen. has has nothing. No reason. No reason to believe in him. No reason for people to project that power into him. And I think he is a hundred percent right about that. But the problem is, is that with with Egon, he's just he's stage managed this kid's life to such a degree that none of it's authentic. And so we see uh, in when their crisis happens out on the Sorrows with the Stone Men and Dance with Dragons that uh, the kid freezes up. I mean, I probably would freeze up too if Stone Zombies came after me. If, you know yeah. if Magical lepers came after me, but you know I'm not trying to be king, so mm-hmm. it doesn't you know it doesn't matter as much if I freeze up. It matters if he does. And Varus you know, he hasn't even been around while raising this kid. So I think he's just, he's got this this idea of the of the, the perfect fantasy protagonist who will solve everything that, that the Lannisters have led to ruin. But meanwhile, you got to care, you know, hes he's got no authentic experiences that would make him be able to be king on his own. It's like, Varys, are you just going to run this kid's... I Maybe mean, that's what he's planning, that Varys is just yeah. going to run this kid's administration for yeah. him.
3: I mean, Tyrion tells us, right? Like, mm-hmm. Tyrion shows us that Varys is lying here. Varys says, oh, he's been trained and he's perfect and he's great and he loves the small folk and this and that, but... Tyrion shows us, no, he's a little brat. He has not had to suffer and go through all these things. He was living in Illyrio's beautiful Mm -hmm. manse. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't, the people in Pentos, like, a lot of them are very, very poor because there are no jobs because of the sanctions Bravos has put on there. You can't just go be a warrior in Pentos. Uh, There's a lot of performers and the economy is not great on that level. And like, He lived in that manse growing up. Danny and Viserys ran from place to place. Danny had to deal with being sold like cattle. Aegon never had to deal that. And when you look at Varys' big little monologue here of, oh, Aegon was this and he was born to rule, all it reads like is the exact paragraph from the princess and the queen with Aegon too, right? Uh, There's the lines about... Aegon's greens enjoyed other advantages. Old Town, King's Landing, Lannisport were the largest and richest cities in the realm. All three were held by greens. Every visible symbol of legitimacy belonged to Aegon. He sat the Iron Throne. He lived in the Red Keep. He wore the Conqueror's crown, wielded the Conqueror's sword, and had been anointed by the Septon of the Faith before eyes of tens of thousands. I mean, he was the rightful heir, is what it was seen as, no matter how, because he showed up at the right time, right place against this propaganda for a bit. I mean, it turned into also bad stuff, but because of this propaganda, oh no! Well, she's going to kill me anyways, so I guess I have to be the king now, and that is what Tyrion stoked those fires with. That same idea. I don't know. Aegon could have been good, but
0: so that moment with the stone men—really, that's—you think that's enough?
4: enough to what
0: to show us that he is not going to do a good job at this. I think we're going
4: to get a little more. I mean it's I mean it's not even that like I don't he's not Joffrey, like he's not a, he's not a wicked kid. He's also not Paul he's Atreides. A, yeah. He's, yeah, he's just well he's just an ordinary kid and kid. the problem is is that he's been told his entire life <laughs> he knows where this ends is the problem. Like if Varus Varys really wanted to raise I think the perfect philosopher king, I think you need to not tell him who he is until
1: The classic um, Harry Potter move. And until you know? but,
4: <laughs> but the problem with that, you find out, is then then you leave the opportunity for the kid to go, screw you, sure. I don't want mm-hmm. any part of that, because then you've let him get to 18, maybe wanting, maybe he'll just say, no, I want to ride in this boat for the rest of my life, I don't want to be king of Westeros, and then what do you do? Don't so I understand him. why Varus didn't do that either. Turns Mind out there's really own. no way to make a perfect human being. What? <laughs> and maybe we, maybe that project is is ridiculous, and I think that's, I think that's maybe where we're going to get to mm-hmm. uh, with, with Varus and, and Young Grift is that... Even, even with the best of intentions it, it's this weird like prefabricated it's it's like it's like he's uh, egon the sex husband, has been in a game show his entire life and there's just been cameras right outside sure. of view. like he's yeah he's struggling on the beach it's survivor yeah. like there's a, there's a, there's a med vac <laughs> so right funny. off camera it's scripted always waiting there's and he
1: always a script
4: and that's not his fault but he's known that so the risk <laughs> has never been real until yeah. the one moment it mm-hmm. is and then he's like oh god He's not look, ready.
1: And you look especially compared to Daenerys's experience and right. everything that she's been that's through. Yep. Yeah, you look through Marine and just Daenerys has seen some stuff. And so the two of them going head-to-head, I mean, it's no contest at all. I think it's going to come down to, you know, if Aegon, if Aegon arrives first, I feel like that's enough for him to be a big threat to Daenerys. But if it's just him and Daenerys, you know, out in the middle of the ocean on some battlefield, I feel like there's no... Um, contest between the two of them just because Daenerys has that scrappiness in her she has the experience and you can like you've been saying you can fill your head with the fact that you have all these titles and things but that regardless of what we feel of this mirror needs not that we've been dealing with and kind of the circles we've been spinning with Daenerys it's it's leading somewhere she has experience she has um the drive she has the um she's been through it in a way that
3: and Lincoln it's bullshit, hasn't. right? That they're yeah. going to hate
1: her. She never even had a chance when totally. she's the one that suffered
3: and struggled for it all. And she birthed dragons, you know? And I mean, and then again, you come back to that same thought, though, as Emmett said, like, you were told you're the chosen one, you know? And, and when you birth dragons, uh, as Tyrion says, uh, how could you not believe that? Yeah, I know that she's suffered. I know she's brave. I mean, anything you think about her, like, uh, she's... 14, 15-year-old dragon queen. Like, that's amazing. And I think that's the biggest difference when you see those struggles. Aegon is going to come in at great timing, and the Lannister regime has been crumbling. And the Tyrells, uh, they played their game as much as they could, and they lost. And Aegon will sweep in, take it, and then Danny comes over, and now she's the big bad because the people just, all they see is the horrendous oppression they've experienced from the Lannister regime, you know, from Tywin ruling the realms. And they don't know that. I mean, the people, when I speak of the people, us, the humans that live in houses in Westeros. I'm not, gonna,
1: yeah, I'm not yeah. a common person in Westeros. If I'm there, I'm yeah. going to be at the top. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm bastard <laughs> born, so <laughs> I'd be a don't snow, but <laughs>
3: yeah. I the, get what you're saying.
4: The only thing I got on the sixth has is that more people will like him. And that's all it takes, yeah. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what Stan found out with Renly. Like, you know, he said to Renly, the only thing you have is that people like you. And Renly went,
1: That's more than yeah, enough. Yeah. That's
4: all I have. And that's, that's, that's so infuriating for, for the kind of, uh, person or character who thinks that the, the resume is what matters or what should matter.
0: Or that fairness exists in Or any way. that
4: fairness exists. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's, and that, that, uh, that rage and loneliness is, um, is something that Danny will definitely respond to. And, um. But for, for Varys, it's just like, you know, when when Kavan thinks back to how beautiful young Cersei was and how things could have been in the road not uh, taken. And Varys, for Varys, it's like, I've, I'm have i now, I've solved it. I've solved Westeros and all these broken people. It's like, here, here's the here's here's the person you all need so much to believe in. I, I've created it, and now we can all move on. But even that, even that's not going to be enough.
3: Can
0: you imagine if Hero would have popped in, like into that <laughs> moment right before the the quarrel, the like, goes all the way there? But he, like, he's got his hand on... Save
3: Kevin Lannister. Right. Save the world.
0: And he, like, shows him. He's like, this guy was about to kill you. And he's like, Varus. He's like, yeah, it's very, it's very bad. And, uh, yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. We need something like that to happen. but Unfortunately, that didn't happen. We were talking Time about... travel. There's going to be, right?
3: Brain travel, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I wonder if physical bodies will be able to do it. Oh, wow.
3: And I think it's, a, it's all about the brain. All about yeah. that third eye. Yeah. Let's be real. Okay. And, I don't know, there, there's there's so much of the rebellion that's like the big trauma of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like every chapter, especially as we get to the end of the book for A Dance with Dragons and even A Feast for Crows is just like laden with the rebellion trauma. And mm-hmm. Rhaegar specifically in this chapter is referenced without being directly referenced, right? Uh, we have that line that... Kevin, he uh, he's, thinks about Rhaegar and Rhaegar like, oh, well, it wouldn't do to brood on things that aren't happening, you know, like Cersei could have married Rhaegar, but it won't do to brood on that. And it's the same line Old that Rhaegar said to Jamie, hmm. right? When he left from the... I'm like, I have it in here. Sorry. Uh, it did no good to brood on lost battles and roads not taken, which it, it is the remix of what is said to Jamie mm-hmm. by Rhaegar when he's like, ah, oh, when I come back, I'll fix all this. Well, Rhaegar didn't uh, in the end. Mm-hmm. And I think to come back to like some of these deaths at the end of Dance of Dragons of Kevin and Quentin and John, I think that Rhaegar like, was just. A man, right? Coming back to that chosen one. And I think that A Dance with Dragons does a really good job of recontextualizing what the hero is. Like Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Quentin thinks he's the hero, right? He is like, I'm the hero. I'm the hero and I have to be the hero and heroes don't die. But then he dies. Being the hero isn't just about sticking them with the pointy end, right? As you see, it takes that council of mediocre men to try to get some stability in Westeros. And they're not even that great at it, but they're just doing the bare minimum. And it, it's there there's magic now. It's things are changed. The rules are changed. It's not just go sit on the throne and let five mediocre men run your entire campaign for 30 to 40 years till someone kills you or till you die of being old and happy or sad, very sad. <laughs> and uh, the, the ghost of these children that died for the throne and were bundled up in red fabrics, their blood didn't show and were put down at the throne. Like, that's really what this is about, right? It's that oppression that the people have been facing from the throne. Uh, Quentin had the blood of the dragon and he faced the dragon and the dragon still ate him. Rhaegar fought valiantly, Rhaegar fought nobly, and Rhaegar died and it's like it's not enough to just be a guy with a quest to go kill someone because you love a girl like that's not enough and that's not looking at the social feudalistic contract going on of Mm -hmm. like protecting your fellow man protecting the weak and the innocent Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to make a better world for people to live in it's not about going and boinking a 15 year old in the tower of joy you know like
0: did he boink her there (laughs) or did she just give birth there?
3: I'm sure there was some boinkings there. Joy (laughs) referring to what? You're right. right, You're right. It's like a phallic thing. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah.
0: I think you're right. I think they definitely boinked. Even when she was pregnant, too,
1: probably. I don't believe (laughs) in anybody.
0: (laughs) So, Varys, sorry, go on.
1: I was just gonna add one point to that before it, you it before you move to Varys. Oh, I'm not going anywhere. Oh, okay. I'm staying right here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I literally have to like push you out of the way, so I'm interrupting you as a whole different experience when we're sharing a microphone. Um, but it it makes me think about Rhaegar. Had he married Cersei I mean they pin so much onto this moment and there's no way that that could have really solved anybody's problems I mean you think about what the new <laughs> yeah. issues may have arisen
4: everyone that's that's a very good point every everyone these characters picks their little inflection point in history where everything changed and it's mm-hmm. usually just because that's what was important to you and that's right, what exactly, you were paying yeah. attention to mm-hmm. but there's all the shit you don't know and everyone else's perspective but yeah like yeah if Rhaegar married Cersei well Cersei had already murdered her best friend, mm-hmm. so mm. she's probably already kind of a problem. So it's you know that wouldn't necessarily solve everything either, and yeah, it's like Eris was still the king, and it, but yeah, but that's. Kevin has 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 to pick that because he he's really trying to justify what he's done, which is a lot of the emotional kind of undercurrent of this chapter. Is it's got to be okay what I did to Cersei, and he's gonna, he's got to like reach back and like, oh, Tywin did this too, and I still love him, so therefore it has to be okay.
3: That doesn't mean the cycle of abuse is good, Kevin. Right. Sure, and
1: like when Kevin's thinking about Cersei. When there's that moment when he's there's he thinks a lot of like really nice things about her how she was so full of life and da, da, da and he's like ah oh, but when she flowered into a young woman ah oh, like he literally Love. goes ah oh. like it's gross. like, You're
0: like it's like I was almost there George huh? it's ah
1: it's like you, that's your little niece like what a creep
0: that well that's why it's the that's why it's best
1: oh my god that's why it's best wow West Coast <laughs> is not
0: best
3: Coast <laughs> in
4: this scenario
3: God. <laughs> hmm? Well, well see, I mean, where okay. do you think she got it from?
4: Well, Kevin Lannister, you know, grew up in a society that had Damon <laughs> and Ranier. Is this he? Mm-hmm. Maybe does Do they really think that's weird? I mean, maybe they no. don't really. Yeah. And,
3: it's systemic.
4: Right. And so, you know, that's. It's, it's just it's, a little hotter. He, I mean, if like if you pose to kevon lannister the question do you want to bang your niece he'd probably no what that's horrible right but he still had the thought wasn't she hot when she was 13 Mm because for him that's a normal man thought and he's never encountered the idea that that's creepy or weird so he's just like i mean that's the thing kevon lannister is conventional wisdom man you know he's like he's straight laced and like he's everything he does is by the book so for him the fact that I think the fact that he doesn't think it's weird to think that way about his niece goes hand in hand with him thinking it's okay to parade her through the streets. You know what I mean? Like yeah. 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 all your, yeah. regardless of what age you yeah. are, your body is this thing that's on display for me to work and out your my
1: body. Yeah, is how I punishment. win it politically. Makes
4: sense that this would happen
0: and be allowed because you're not in a position of power like we are. It makes sense, but your tyrant. body
1: is your position of power, right? Like, to women, right. And That's, that's
0: right. why they did that that's to those women. That's why they did that. That's why because they wanted them. it's
3: okay to minimize to it. Look at them that way, right? Like because that that's it. They're cattle. They're currency. They're swords. They're you know it's not looked at as a thing for them to do on their own or to have their own choices about unless they come from a family that allows that, the money that allows that, or they make it on their own. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting because in the way that Aegon is this new idea and this new kind of like every man, you know, like every man king, every king kind of idea. He can do everything. He can fight with the sword. He can do the faith. He could do this. Uh, Kevin, it's funny because I'm like, Kevin, you'd vote for him. You guys would probably vote for the kid, like ah, he's got some spunk. Okay, sure, if it yeah. wasn't a relation thing, you know, if you didn't have to keep the Lannisters, Or if you in didn't power.
4: lose your own power yeah, to them, e- exactly. Right,
3: yeah. Or if you were allowed to vote in Westeros, that <laughs> might be <laughs> that might be. <laughs> the top I mean, the Lannisters
4: it. were with the Targaryens until they weren't. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until it became until it became more convenient not to be. So the others, how much shouldn't. they gained, they learned yeah. from them, took their shit. Yeah, I mean that's why Var <laughs> says to Kevon, like I don't hate you, like you could have. When I mean, he says you're a good man in service to a bad cause, you get the feeling Varys thinks you could have just as easily ended up on my side of this for war. Sure. It was just your it's brother just is Tywin, and if your brother was Randall Tarly, I wouldn't be killing you right now.
3: Yeah, you're a road bump, that's all. You're yep. just, you know what, uh, there's a cow in the middle of the road, and we gotta move that cow. Sorry, buddy.
4: Which is how exactly how we, you get with Quentin, too, that sensation mm-hmm. of I can't possibly be what I appear to be, which is a tertiary character, and that would mean my friends died for nothing, and that would mean my journey is pointless, so I have to be the central character, and that's, I think, something George does really well, is mm-hmm. capture that that angst of realizing that you're not objectively important, mm-hmm. which like everyone has to deal with in your life. And then you find a reason in your life to be important, but that so many characters are just like, oh no, I have, there has to be a system at which I'm at the center. And if that's not the case, then I'm not happy. And like
3: Kevin's kind of doing that too, a little yeah. here. He's like, I got to live up to my big brother. And he's questioning the these name. things with the walk of shame. He does question it though. He's like, that was fine. That's what Tywin would have done. I should have done that. Shouldn't I have like he's like this it had was, to be the, I, it had to be and he tells himself that and which you he have has, to tell yourself
4: that yeah he has
3: that same everyman old guy you know like ah the old gang from the the crossbone skulls club here you know like he's like this is just how we did it and this is just how it's done and this is how we're going to do it and I'm doing the right thing aren't I he whispers to himself aren't I and then the end of the chapter he's told sorry Kevin you weren't I mean you were no. but you weren't goodbye. It's kind of a bummer. It's like for sure. the first time, he's like, I could actually do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And let's be real. If Tywin's your brother and you're trying to live up to that, as we see so many people trying to live up to that Jamie, Tyrion, Cersei in so many ways. Uh, it's sad seeing it filtered like that for Kevin. It's, it's See, there you go. I did it. Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> uh, it. It's sad seeing that filtered for him, that his failure, you know, at the very end, like he was finally doing Somewhat the right thing for a Lannister in Westeros.
4: Yeah, for sure. And he cries out for his brother even at the end. You know, mm-hmm. when he's when he's dying, even though Tywin's dead,
1: and he yells for T- and he doesn't he wait. Hold on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks it's Tyrion at first, yeah. uh, who shot him because Cersei got to him. This is how my yeah. brother. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was gonna read read that same thing, but it's just so funny that that's like. What he thinks, like, that's the thing that comes to his head.
0: George is good at writing, I'm telling you. And he, when he's got nowhere else to go, like, when he writes himself into a corner like this, like, he gives you the, he gives it to you. There's no, like, I'm getting there eventually. Like, he, those moments where people are dying, he's really good at writing.
1: We should like, read that whole, we need true. to read that's the whole yeah. last paragraph yeah. here yeah. because mm-hmm. it's really awesome. Good.
0: When she was dying, oh God.
3: Hey. Don't be
0: rude about mom. I don't, it's not rude. I think that what she said was very, uh, just heartbreaking. God, of stuff breaks my heart. What were you saying? I think we just had our first side convo. <laughs> first. <laughs> well, on the recording at least.
1: I was just saying we need to read like the last four pages read of it. the, of the, the chapter. There's a, there's a couple, I'm not going to do that, all of that, but there's a couple pieces that I wanted to read, um, kind of near the end here and he says the white ravens of the citadel did not carry messages as our dark cousins did so he comes down and he sees the white raven Mm -hmm. um when they went forth from old town it was for one purpose only to herald a change of seasons which we haven't even talked about the snow that's been a a little bit we did but uh, that's that's kind of this overarching thing that's weighing on every conversation that's happening Mm mm-hmm "'Winter,' said Sir Kevin. "'The word made a white mist in the air. "'He turned away from the window. "'Then something slammed him in the chest "'between the ribs, hard as a giant's fist. "'It drove the breath from him "'and sent him lurching backwards. "'The white raven took to the air, "'its pale wings slapping him about the head. "'Sir Kevin half sat and half fell into the window seat. "'What? Who?' "'A quarrel was sunk almost to the fletching of his chest. "'No, no, that was how my brother died.' Blood was seeping out around the shaft. Pysel, he muttered, confused, "'help me, I,' and then he saw.' Grandmaster Pycelle was seated at the table, his head pillowed on the great leather-bound tome before him, sleeping, Kevin thought, until he blinked and saw the deep red gash of the old man's spotted skull, and the blood pooled beneath his head, staining the pages of his book. All around his candle were bits of bone and brain, islands in the lake of melted wax. He wanted guards, Sir Kevin thought. I should have sent him guards. Could Cersei have been right all along? Was this his nephew's work? Tyrion, he called? Where? Far away, a half-familiar voice replied. He stood in a pool of shadow by a bookcase, plump, pale-faced, round-shouldered, clutching a crossbow in his soft, powdered hands. Silk slippers swaddled his feet. Ferris, it's so good.
4: I love that the the bird beats Kevon around the head with his wings as if to say, like, "Welcome to winter. Welcome yes. to
1: death, bitch." Yeah, exactly.
4: You're down. Because yeah, that's exactly. Uh, yeah, I love what you said, Hannah, about the the motif of winter building the background because that's what. All the little attempts are going to fail in the face of this. Here's, here's mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. It's finally here. It's falling in the Riverlands too. we see with Jamie. And yeah, just as, as, as Kevon realizes that, oh, we're, you know, it's like, if tying on to the theme of getting old in the chapter and how everyone's just remembering the past. It's like, now I'm, I'm winter, my beard is white. Yep. The spring and summer, I'm remembering a past. And yeah, even that moment he thinks, no, I can't have, be having a crossbow arrow in me. That's how Tywin died. Like his he's, yes. he's wondering, yes. am I having a flashback to Tywin's <laughs> yes. death? And that's like that, that recurrence and things coming around again. Like, and they, even Varus says, like, I thought this would be yes. kind of funny if I killed you the same right. way Tywin died. It's <laughs> right. just kind of chilling, but like, that's how Varus puts it. You've been working for Tywin your whole life. You should die the same way as him too. It's yes. like that you lived and died the same way, just like your brother.
3: And you got to respect how various at the end, he gives his smile. He's like, oh, he rings his hands. I'm so sorry. You're dying right yeah. now. Yeah, I yeah. shouldn't be here. Varus <laughs> has like, been in quarantine for a
4: while. It's been a long time since right, he like, talked. I'm
1: just, I'm <laughs> so, so <laughs> rude of me. You know me. It. I just like to
3: go off like that. Sorry, children. Snip, snip.
1: Snip, snap. Ah. Uh, so then he good. thinks of his wife. I mean, this mm-hmm. whole scene is just.
4: Yeah. When Varus says, we're doing it for the children. And Kevin, Kevin thinks, but I have children yeah. i have a wife and it's yeah. so devastating because like varus you're thinking purely in the abstract purely mm-hmm. in the concept of the people i can help and like the flesh and blood person in front of you is suffering and he's just not even paying attention to that and i think that's varus in a nutshell
1: totally shuffling around in his little slippers that's something right. that yeah. i swaddled. can't get over right exactly very I comfortable it. i do love that like uh,
3: it's so heavy laden with that symbolism. We start with like the big black shadow of dragon wings of the iron throne hanging Mm -hmm. over them and they're busy turned the other way, dealing with the civil war enmity and Aegon coming when it's Danny and it's the blood of the dragon hanging over them, not just Danny's blood, but the blood of Aegon. Like none of this would have been happening had the Lannisters not murdered those children violently and awfully. And, that's what comes for Kevin in the end. Finally, it came for, Ho- Winter has come for House Lannister.
4: The kids kill him <laughs> exactly like those yeah, dead the kids. Children. Yeah.
3: The, de- the children come and can they can take him. Can I read them. that too? Wait, the last on. paragraph? You oh. said there were
4: dead kids? Well, there was the dead Targaryen yeah. kids yeah. that come up a lot in the chapter. Okay, and you have these were, these, kids. were they kind of dead too, you think? Mm-hmm. Were they undead kids? I don't think literally, no, but I think right, they but, represent, yeah, they like that, you know, spirit of childhood. But even like the memory of Cersei. Mm-hmm. You know, let, like let me twist year old what you said, please, into something crazy. Well, I'm not going right. to let you do it, Zach. You're
3: just <laughs> obsessed with zombies right now. You got to stop.
4: I am. <laughs> you God. have you have a literal one. You have Robert Strong in this chapter. Have, you're right, right. You're he's right. a he's a literal mm-hmm. zombie. Okay. okay,
1: he's got Snyder brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read this. Sir Kevin was cold as ice and every labored breath sent a fresh stab of pain through him. He glimpsed movement, heard the soft scuffling sound of slippered feet on stone. A child emerged from a pool of darkness, a pale boy in a ragged robe, no more than nine or ten. Another rose up behind the grand ma- grandmaster's chair. The girl who had opened the door for him was there as well. They were all around him, half a dozen of them, white-faced children with dark eyes, boys and girls together, and in their hands, daggers. The dagger. And then... Oh, sorry. sorry. I messed that up. It's okay. Let everybody redo. And in <laughs> their hands, the daggers. And that's the end of the Dance of Dragons. That's the last, like, I know we have the sample chapters, but I mean, that's it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. yeah. So you think potentially, what is it that you think? Is it the dark eyes that makes yeah. you pause? Just the
0: first time I read it, I um, I was just like the style that George is putting it through, I think uh, overexcited me and made me think <laughs> that there was sure, like I got you. more to it, you know?
1: I feel like that's They're very creepy. That's so much more your vibe, though, and your energy It's like you want yeah. there to be magic and zombies and like yeah terrible things, like yeah. other things than just the like politics of it all. Like sure, you want yeah. a little bit of the mystique yeah. and intrigue to be included.
0: Yeah, and the, we were talking earlier about how Varys was, and uh, in, and in, of all those characters that are sort of like at the the top level, not of the society, but of their like current. Understanding of how things work and about how this the decisions that they make, like within the system, like the ones who understand the balance of, of uh, like not necessarily just doing stuff for your own personal game, but how for everyone else, like keeping. Uh, that balance is like best for the feudal society that they live in. And it's the best way to continue to hold these uh, partnerships with people that you're not necessarily for that like you might even be against, et cetera. And then eventually like finding opportunities to take advantage of those. And essentially what I think what it is is waiting until the last second that you have to hold it together Mm -hmm. and then uh, having a little controlled or not, depending Mm -hmm. on how good you are at it, like, like lashing out of uh, real action that's unprotected because you are hopefully confident that it's going to lead to success in a greater position than the moment you just, did it, you just did it for. Some people are, like, really unpracticed at it. Some people, like Varys, wait for 17 years to see uh, the last half or to see action upon stuff that they really did not like happen.
3: Some people wait 70 years, 80 years, Walder Frey. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. But for Walder, did, do you think that he knew that he was going to get the opportunity and he was always building towards something? Or he just was— Oh, I was... think he hoped. Sure. <laughs> right. He just thought attrition would be in his favor, that he'd get into the position where he could fuck someone over that fucked him over, that at least made him feel bad.
3: Oh, yeah. It, it's a pretty burdening uh, uh, grudge, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I
0: would say, too. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have a lot going on over the, at the Twins.
3: You know, yeah. you got a lot of kids to do everything for you. You don't do yeah. much. You're like his, ninety. His I, kids are the worst too. Yeah, they're shitty kids.
0: They really are. His family's just boring in general, and I think maybe he was done with them.
4: <laughs>
3: in
0: well, general, so yeah.
4: I mean, you want to He wants to win the game, but winning the game means hanging out with a bunch of people he hates. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So for some people, that's yeah. not how
4: it
1: goes. Right. I mean, it's
0: worth it to some people. See that. that my point is, Varys, for example. Seems like he's the type that has understood this balance and he's waited for all of the right moments. It's like I said at the beginning of the conversation. He's so good at it that he seemingly to me was marshalling some kind of mysterious powers that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Some people think he's a mermaid, for God's sakes. You know what people, I mean? People in the universe theory. think he's a magician. My favorite yeah. theory.
1: Right. We never. Well, we see his feet here. It was in the Did TV show. Oh, yeah,
0: he had swaddled feet. It swaddled was in the
1: feet. show that we didn't see his feet George, for but a but really long time. But why are they swaddled?
3: Time. Why are they so swaddled? True? You know, Such I'm just a good saying. Mermaid still alive.
1: The theory's still alive. <laughs> well, and if you think about like uh, Ariel, she has. Yeah. Well, little bit. Yeah, feet well, for a why minute. do you think
3: he cuts out
1: tongues of kids? Yeah, <laughs> to steal well, their voice. There we go. I'm just saying, it's
3: reverse <laughs> the mermaid. It's yeah, not dead. Everyone. It's strong. It's not dead.
1: <laughs> but we it may saw, never die. There was like a shot. This is so off track, but like there was a clip in one of the trailers of like season seven or something. Who knows? Whenever like Varys is like standing on a cliff and everyone's like zooming in, oh, they're yeah. like, you <laughs> can see his feet. <laughs> He's not a mermaid. Ah, the good days. (laughs) Right, I was just thinking
3: the glory days. Things used to be so simple. Now you're like Matt Smith on a beach. Back in the
4: 1920s, a.k.a. five years ago.
3: Back in 1801 when Game of Thrones came out.
4: I remember
0: those days. Fondly.
3: You got to respect George for using the same like shock of, you know, like the Red Wedding. We all sit there through the Red Wedding. You're like, oh, my God, our heroes are being murdered. And then he does it with John, right? Three chapters before, same language. All he felt was the cold Mm -hmm. Uh, sticking with the pointy end, you know. But then just a handful of chapters later, Kevin gets it. And you don't think of Kevin as being the type of person to get murdered because he's not Jon Snow. He's not Quentin Martell looking in the dragon. He's looking down a way different dragon. Uh, he did bring a sword. But it still works, right? Like it's not, it's not lessened. The, the shock and the value of like what happens and the awe of like, oh, crap, Varys did that to mm-hmm. end the book isn't lessened mm. by Jon dying in the same shocking kind of manner. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, for a similar reason, mm-hmm. right? Of people that are like, we got to get you out of business, buddy. Uh, I think that's really – that's just a strong sign of a strong book, mm-hmm. right? To be able to kill so many POVs and all of a sudden at the end of A Dance with Dragons that then you're like, all right, and we're going to kill this guy for good measure, too.
1: And it's still good. This like, mm-hmm. non-POV who we've, over the course of whatever, a couple of pages have kind of come to respect a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, from, I feel like, I like Kevin, that. I like him. You you can't help but like him a little bit after this, ch- this chapter, regardless of what people mm-hmm. may say about him, you know, living in Tywin's shadow and, you know, all of the. Things, whatever, but you can't help but like him a
4: little bit. And he wants to justify himself, and I don't quite buy his justifications. I don't think he really does either. But it's it's different, you know, from uh, someone like obviously like Joffrey or Ramsay, mm-hmm. who doesn't feel any need to justify anything they've ever done. Tomo Varys or or Kevon, Kevon, Kevin. yeah, yeah. And he, um, yeah, he wants he he wants to think that he's he's doing the right thing, and he's he's desperate desperate for a a way to make that true. Um, and, you know, what What he has, I think the worst stuff he's done is not what he gets killed for. Like, you know, I think uh, working for Tywin, burning the Riverlands with him, doing <laughs> what he did to Cersei, that's not what he gets punished for. And the same way that Cersei doesn't really get punished for the horrible stuff Cersei has done either. Like, you know, Cersei, yeah. Cersei has, has committed unimaginable horrors on many, many people, but that's not really why the High Sparrows take her down. And I think that, that the difficulty of justice... It comes up here and, you know, the difficulty of Varus creating the kind of state he wants to. And same thing with Jon Snow at the Wall that um, he had his difficulties bringing about a better system up there and the people who killed him aren't, aren't going to have any better luck. What do you three think that Varys
0: actually wants? I felt like
1: to be free in the ocean.
4: <laughs> <Like> the <mermaid laughs> he is. he wants to be where the people are. I want
0: to read his uh, speech or part of his speech when he's talking about uh, Egan. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, just being at the latest moment of my life when I was reading it today, you know, it's like the furthest I've been awake. You mm-hmm. know, I've, I've read it before, but now I've, this is later. I've got more <laughs> info. And, uh, I felt I was just "Ah, as I was reading it, Eureka, I was getting closer <laughs> to Varys, you know, and uh, I didn't even smoke anything yet, Chloe, and uh, <laughs> I told you it wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> Although it usually is a great idea. CR 420 episode. Um, it's
3: great for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah stares into the camera. I'm like, so
0: what did you think about his shoes? Because <laughs> that's really what I was focused on. No. Uh, <laughs> 10
3: minutes later, are you hungry, Hannah?
0: <laughs> God, I had so much Taco Bell today, everybody. Naked Chicken Chalupa's back. Also, the Baja Blast uh, Colada uh, Slushy. Holy <laughs> shit.
3: Sponsor Holy us, Taco Holy Bell. Holy
0: shit. Anyway. I'm going to read this and maybe it'll make some of you feel um, closer to the truth. Because like I said, Varys has always been mysterious to me. And in this chapter, in the last published chapter of the series that we have, it is like we get more of Varys finally. We get more of him than I feel like we've ever gotten. And like I said, we see how his little birds work, which I've... We all know now because it's old hat, but imagine being years ago into the story, especially when only the first couple books were out. Like, we don't know what his little birds are, and it seems like he does know so much. And maybe some people were smart enough to just know, but I sure as hell wasn't. So I was like, what could this possibly mean? But now we're getting way more uh, elements of the story that are grounded, and they don't have to be all magical or undead or connected to another sphere or um, or like uh, tools that people can use to make weird stuff happen to make me happy. It can be stuff that makes sense uh, politically or culturally within the story like this. Um, But I think that if I could just change your attention a little bit or direct it a little bit in what he's saying, um, I think that what is getting revealed to me the most in this is that he is not as good as I thought he was. And that he, uh, and I mean, by that I mean effective, not okay. like morally. Yeah. I see what you mean. He's not that effective. Not that great. I thought he was really good before. And now I feel like maybe you're not as, you're not as, as uh, slick as you thought you were. But uh, even though he's really good compared to most people, like he's really slick. Um, and it makes me think that someone like Tyrion is going to have to out slick him or will out slick him. Because I feel like v- uh, Varys is... Patience is where it seems to be wearing thin. He's almost like too happy, too emotional in this scene a little bit. Um he's holding it together, but you know his heart rate is doing this. Like when he's saying, Oh, silly me, like you're dying right now. Like he's got this exterior, but on the inside he's so excited. When you see what he did to Pisel with his hands, it's just like, dude, like you were just not you're acting calm, cool, collected now, and you have this great little speech, but you just Came up behind that old dude who's a million years old and bashed his fucking brains out of his head mm-hmm. and
4: just left him there.
3: And then opened the window because he smelled. Yes.
4: Right. Yes. Well, once you've seen your, you know, cock and balls burn on a fire, you tend yeah. to You're develop right. a certain cool head, I think, in, in those situations. You're right.
0: And so what I was saying is, I think that he's getting toward the point now where he's just like, you know, when uh, it's like Bilbo reaching for the ring. <laughs> It sure. It, it's just like he's getting a little too close to the prize. Mm-hmm. He's getting there, and it's starting to like scare me a little mm-hmm. bit. It's starting to creep me out. Anyway, there's uh, there's parts of it that I think reveal more, but the only part that I have, uh uh no, this this part works. I was gonna say the only part that I have copied is the one about Aegon, but I found it in the book, so I'll just read and see if this is what I'm thinking. uh I thought I'll just start a little bit earlier. I thought the crossbow fitting you shared much with Lord Tywin. Lord Tywin, why not that? Your niece will think the Tyrells had you murdered. Mayhaps with the connivance of the imp. The Tyrells will suspect her. Someone somewhere will find a way to blame the Dornishmen. (laughs) Ha ha. Doubt, division, and mistrust will eat the very ground beneath your boy king whilst Aegon raises raises his banner above Storm's End, and the lords of the realm gather round him. Aegon. For a moment he did not understand. Then he remembered. A babe swaddled in a crimson cloak, the cloth stained with blood and brains. Dead. He's dead. Here we go. No, the eunuch's voice seemed deeper. He is here. Egan has been shaped for rule since before he could walk. He has been trained in arms as befits a knight to be, but that was not the end of his education. He reads and writes. He speaks several tongues. He has studied history, law, and poetry. Acepta has instructed him in the mysteries of the faith since he was old enough to understand them. He has lived with fisher folk, worked his hands, with his hands, sorry, swum in rivers. Swum is a great word. Swam in rivers and mended nets and learned to wash his own clothes. Good for him.
2: <laughs>
0: cool. um, Love to adult, <laughs> yeah. again. Learned to wash his own clothes at need. He can fish and cook. See, that's what I'm saying. He's learned to wash his own clothes at need. He can fish and cook and bind up a wound. He knows what it is like to be hungry, to be hunted, to be afraid. Imagine saying about someone else, he knows what it's like to be afraid. And it's good hype manning for it, sure. That, exactly, but he's not even there. Tommen has been taught that kingship is his right. Aegon knows that kingship is his duty and that a king must put his people first and live and rule for them. Uh, Kevin does some stuff and then Varus says, I'm sorry. Varus wrung his hands. So he's wringing his hands. So he's feeling it right now. Literally wringing his hands. You are suffering, I know. Yet here I stand going on like some silly old woman. Time to make an end to it. The eunuch pursed his lips and gave a little whistle. Um, then that part. Then the part that you read. <laughs> I mean, so go on, Hannah, please.
1: I was going to make a quick point and interesting. We were talking earlier, I mean, you brought up about that the kingship has been basically, like, given to Aegon as this idea that he's the chosen one being sold on. But here here Varys is literally saying that Tommen is the one that gets the kingship as his destiny. But Aegon knows that it's his duty. You know, it's exactly the opposite.
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, they're both... They're both true. I mean, he's right, Varus has said, when Tommen has been raised to think of kingship as just his right. I mean, he's he's correct about that. Like, Tommen has—Tommen's a little kid who has no real interest in the job he's doing, and no one is training him. Like, if Tommen was around, was allowed to live to grow up, which he won't be, I think he'd be a perfectly affable and useless king who would continue to sign whatever anyone put in front of him. And I think Varus has just made a different kind of mistake. (laughs) Um in that it's like i think it's the exact opposite mistake tommen is just no one is no one cares and then with with VI, uh, the sixth it's just it's micromanaging it's it's uh, like he's he hasn't had to make any choices ever and like you know when when varis is is listing off everything that he's learned and that's 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 all very good but it's it's all been decided for him and there's that that level of risk that i think I think it goes hand in hand with what mm-hmm. Zach was saying about how effective Varus is. Varus is so competent that he kind of played himself. Right. And he just, he, he is, he's, he's such a good chess master that he turned this kid into a chess piece. And you should be training your king to be his own chess master, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, the, you don't get the sense that Egon has learned any of that. He's just going to, all he would be is Varus's pawn. And that's just not good enough.
3: I'm so struck by how Catelyn teaches Rob to fish for himself. Right, How Catelyn knows what the right answer in Southern politics is during a Game of Thrones when she gets to meet up with her son who is now leading this rebellion, similar age as Aegon, and she lets Rob puzzle it out for himself and it kills her. She's like, oh, you're doing the wrong thing, but you'll get it. You'll figure it out. Rhymes with this, Rob. Rhymes with this. You know, like she's like, all right. But she lets him make his mistakes. She lets him kind of choose. She edges him here and there and is like, okay, Rob, maybe what if we did this? This is another idea you could try. Uh, but like. I'm just so struck by how Aegon has the Golden Company. Does he understand why he has the Golden Company? Mm -hmm. Does he understand the blood and the history of his family, of his blood, of why the Golden Company was created and what they do and what they have fought for? Does he understand that and why that's the Golden Company was chosen? Or is he just like, hey, these dudes are here and they're going to fight for me and I'm going to lead them. Uh I'm really struck by that, that like Rob gets himself in there and he's like, I have to figure this out for these men and these people and their way of living. But Aegon's just there to do a thing. And I, the big thing I get at the end of this chapter is like, I think, especially for Illyrio and Viserys, it's like, or for Illyrio and Varys, it's like, yes, yes, get Aegon on the throne. Yes, we're going to do it. But then what?
2: Right. Mm-hmm. How
3: do we yeah. heal a nation that's been torn apart by oppression for decades and decades and by disparity and class disparity? People that have had the Riverlands. Look at the Riverlands and how they're burnt down by the previous administration. Like, how do we heal that? And where is Egan's tax plan is what I want to hear. Right. Okay. Right.
1: <laughs> And so it's like you were saying, Zach. Before, like after you read, before you read that quote about how maybe Varus isn't the guy like you always assumed he was the guy because he's he seems to put in the work to get this pl- plan to happen, but doesn't ha- like what's what comes next? Like exactly like you're saying,
4: hmm, what comes next? <sighs> I, mean, I bet if you put Varus to the question, he would say it doesn't matter, or it's this going to be the same that it doesn't, yeah. or that maybe his answer would be that the people don't really make perfectly informed rational connections between policy and their lives anyway so all i have to do is convince westeros that we are doing the right thing and they won't notice if we're not and he's he might not be wrong about that honestly he could i think if it weren't for danny varus could probably get away with this i don't think hmm. i don't i think egon would disappoint him mm-hmm. but i think varus's response to that disappointment would be i'll just run things then and then he would just do that
3: mm-hmm.
0: what, what does he gain from Picel being dead Directly,
3: he hated that MRF. Right, but that guy was so annoying. Well, also because he's a Lannister stan, dude. He loves the Lannisters. Yeah. He's like, Go, Tywin, go, Lions. What, what? And then he's like, Oh, God, my back. Uh, but he's wait. also in
4: charge of communications, which yes. I think Varus might, yeah, who knows, who knows who's gonna come next. So I think Varus might, uh, might want control over communicates, mm-hmm. okay. but I think it's also, yeah, uh, I'd you know, say he's a being Lannister dead supporter. and the
3: White Raven showing up is like major meta, like, sure. oh, the Citadel sent the White Raven, but the White Raven's out.
4: Mm-hmm. And now, you know, who they'll they'll fight over who to replace him with. And as yeah. long as they're fighting, Varus is, Varus is winning. Mm-hmm. So what does he do next, though, when he's
0: there? Like, how's he going to deal with the Sand Snake? And how's he going to deal with the, the now uh, more
4: creepily separated people that are in charge and Cersei taking over again. I think his plan is to let Cersei alienate everyone and then go, hey, my guy's not Cersei. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is like, it's, like, every, it's like everyone's plan for dealing with Stannis. All we have to do is let him be Stannis and then everyone else will come to us. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
4: And I think that's just let him have his personality. And it's, it's the same thing with Cersei. All Varys has to do... Is go, Cersei. The door is now open.
3: She's doing pretty good on her own. I mean, she's handing arms deals off to the Faith and them being like, "No, don't hurt us." Mm-hmm. Like
4: <laughs> getting pissing off the Iron Bank, although yeah. they're going to Stannis instead. But yeah, I think that I think I mentioned Varys's plan is unleash Cersei and pick up the pieces.
3: Yeah.
0: So whenever King's Landing is sacked, do you think he'll be there and he'll be alive?
3: I think it would be really beautiful for him to open the gates yeah. instead of Pisel. I've been him. thinking that. Yeah, right. <laughs> because it would be a reverse. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it would just be such a reverse of Pysal opening the gates for Tywin and, and letting the his flag in. And there's this line, the spoilers, and Uh It's one of the Ren chapters, and she thinks it's something along the lines of. A a princess must know when to unfurl her banners when the time is right. So she's going to all these places, and they're like, you better hide your Martell banners. Don't blow your load right now. Like, just hide it, and we'll take the place and whatever, you know. But don't unfurl them yet, because once you unfurl your banners, just like arrows, you can't just call those banners back. And, I mean... I went to a Soundgarden audio slave Rage Against the Machine like trio concert like a decade ago. (laughs)
0: all three at once.
3: (laughs) It was great because they unfurled the gorilla radio flag Mm -hmm. for like between the sets for Rage and Soundgarden like to show the difference and the change. They unfurled it. And I just see that happening that Cersei is going to be like, yes, yes, please, please, Varys, go open the gates for our esteemed Dornish guests because it's going to be Martell banners as far as the eye can see, right, coming to the city just like in Storm. But then the Black Blackfyre <clears throat> banner unfurling would be like, whoa, Damn. because they don't suspect it. And they're going to open their house, open their hearts to the Dornish because the Tyrells suck and she needs allies. And she is, as Emmett said, she's going to alienate herself and everyone around her and her children. Through alliances, through broken alliances, through just murdering through people a- for funsies. actions,
0: and, just like personal actions too.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, she... The Kingsguard she had on her side are, you know, out and out. You got Robert Strong and that's it. The Kettle Blacks are, you know, they're done for.
0: You think they're done for? She won't let them back out, like, when she gets control?
3: I mean, I'm not sure what Cersei's going to do with all these mediocre men she has in her cells. <sighs> Hopefully put them to good use. I don't know.
2: That's what
0: I would do, but I don't know if she's going to do that.
3: I hope that so they have the a tea wall. party. The wall needs some good men. Yeah, but
0: she doesn't care about that.
3: I know. I appreciate in this chapter that the wall comes up and uh, Mance is kind of making or Mance Mace is making kind (laughs) of like a ooh ooh, the wall yeah just send the dudes there (laughs) and I do wonder is that a little dig for Randall? You think he's like being like ooh uh, since you just came off the Sam since you just came off those Sam chapters and because the end of this chapter kind of ends almost similarly to that chapter in that the creepy pale faced person Pate the pig slayer. Or uh, Pate the pig boy and Sam the slayer. And Sam like sees his face and he's creeped out. Like he distinguishly is creeped out. And here you end with the pale-faced children standing around Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting that the last few chapters of the book all end on this magical horror at the very end for us to keep reading. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's a it's a new kind. You're trying to take the mic. Go ahead. I was going to say it's a new kind of way to close the book. Yeah. Uh, it's It's just – it feels ahead of its time. Like, it still feels fresh now. Yeah. And how long ago was this book written? Eight years ago?
3: Um, Sorry, was published. 10. Try 10. Ten. Ten. My yeah, bad. 2011. I forget,
0: well, yeah, right? I forget, like, yeah, we're 2021s. God, so far. Last year didn't count, though, right? Time's not real anymore. <laughs> yeah. It is not real. Uh, what were we going to say?
1: I was just going to talk about how this idea of magic coming into play full force here Mm. at the very end. And we talked a lot about on the last episode, whether or not that that's actually going to matter or be real or something that we should really be concerned Mm. with and kind of talk about because are we just going to have all these magical things to save the day and kind of fix all these different problems that have been cropping up or is it just going to be like this um, overarching kind of theme? I don't know. That's not necessarily something we have to, Get into particularly, but I do find it interesting that here at the end we have got these added elements being introduced into the story. The zombie
0: children, exactly.
1: Yeah. God. <laughs> kind of so, well, what do you think
0: but, about? Sorry.
1: Well, I was just going to ask you, and I was going to ask you because I feel like we cut off from something that I thought you were going to say, which might I assume is going to be very you interesting. Are reading my notes. So let's. See. I am reading your notes <laughs> over your shoulder, so I got like, a little bit of an insight. But you were talking about kind of being disillusioned a little bit with with Varus, and I feel like we mm-hmm. covered like a decent amount of kind of why he, why we can kind of see that, but curious on more of your thoughts and why you f- feel that way specifically about, is it because we actually spend time with him and like actually, I mean, we do spend time with him, but like we get like a very real raw version of him here. Kind of, It's because
0: if he was trying to finish me off like George is, it wouldn't be impressive right now. I would not be impressed.
4: Do you think that it's just the mystery is appealing? Do you think any of ours reveal would make him live up to the reputation in yeah, your head? Yeah, I think so, yeah. There, there could have been something his, he, more. He was wringing his hands. I <laughs> didn't you think like think he that. shouldn't? Yeah. Why? Because it's too, like, he shouldn't have shame? Or no, was too nervous. He, okay. He didn't hold together, uh, like,
0: in the right way. And he was just, he was way too personally invested in how he was talking about Aegon. It just makes me think, it, think that he's not going to be able to handle the pressure of what's coming, because he just... Previously, he seemed to me like he was ready to handle situations in a way that uh, would would make everyone else like uh, it, they they would all pale in comparison to like his the way he can handle the situation. But I didn't get that impression. I was just like, oh man, and these are just yeah. real kids,
2: <laughs> <laughs> not
0: zombies. It's not magical kids. All right, Zack
3: Snyder over here. You know, I think it. That's it though, right? It's the emotional. Like he's emotionally too emotionally involved now, and yeah. before for various, it was like Keep we don't together. know what the guy's gonna do. He's crazy yeah. and he's really sneaky, and he yeah. does all these disguises and magic, and he knows everything. And here's
0: the guy that killed me or that took my balls off. He's in a box. That's how powerful it's Wizard of Oz. It's
3: the it's like seeing the face behind the curtain. Sure, it's Wizard sure. of Oz for various. Yeah. This is his reveal that like he also has an emotional stake, and I think that's the biggest part. Like he's emotionally compromised over Aegon taking the throne. That's what he reveals also that like, oh, this is what I've been holding on to for Mm. five books was this little undead boy, you know, that isn't actually not that kind of undead, Zach, (laughs) but he's not, you know, he's like, oh, he's back from the dead. It's Aegon Targaryen and this is what I've been waiting to tell everyone that I'm doing. You know, I'm, siding behind, you know, without the the back and forth thinking contextually about was he really backing Danny? Were they just whatever? Who knows what they really wanted? But for this to be his reveal of his endgame, it is a little like for people that have built various up as this awesome character. It is surprising. You're like, oh, huh. It's that kid for an outsider perspective. Yeah. It's not what you'd expect. And I think I think that makes it a lot more interesting that the stakes for him are about Aegon in some manner, way or shape and how you know, he's been raised and how he feels about the kid.
0: That's probably part of the disappointment too for me, because I know that there's bigger fish going on right now.
3: Yeah, I get that. I get yeah.
0: that. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe he can change his stripes. Maybe it doesn't have to be all about Agan, but I have a feeling he's gonna hold on to it. I hope that he doesn't.
3: I uh I like what Emmett was saying a little bit about like what happens when the pawn can become a player, right? And Agen being used as a pawn. I would really like to see some of that emotional state come out of Aegon defying, Varys in a way, or Illyrio in a way, right? Of like some of their wishes sure. for what they want him to do. Hell, he already has.
4: Yeah, just by showing up, they've already had to change their plans because of him and because of Tyrion.
3: Wildcard. I think.
4: Um, yeah. I think Varys is just really, really invested in his ideology, mm-hmm. and I think he cares about that more than any one single person.
1: Which hasn't gone well for. I've seen nobody. <laughs> succeed when they're so deeply focused on their own ideology sure. at the disregard of every other thing
4: that's going on around them. Sure, absolutely. I, I I but I, I think Varus probably tells himself they're really in it for their families or for themselves mm. and I'm different. what I, I like if we had Varus's self-justification monologue the way we do Kevon's, like I'm sure Varus would be telling himself they don't really believe in anything besides their banners and their family names. And I'm the only person who 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 has an idea.
1: For the realm,
4: for the realm, right? Which <laughs> so is, it can po- that. poke that full of holes, and we we uh, should and did. But like for um, for him, like like that's I have I have something that transcends all your other petty bullshit. And but um, but like he says, power resides where you believe it resides, and he believes it resides in, in his idea of the perfect prince. And that's yeah, that's why his voice gets deeper, and that's why it, it seems like he's he's more into it. You know, it's like um, like you know, if you force Littlefinger to talk honestly about the Starks. But, like, you know, underneath all his scheming, that's the um, that's that's the pull. And that that uh, molten core is a little mm-hmm. unsettling to brush up against sometimes in people. Yeah, molten core, I like that. That's true.
0: I think it does make people, like, a lot of times uh, people recoil whenever I get really excited about stuff. They'll be like, I'll be, like, so emotionally talking about something. <laughs> they're like, oh, dear God. <laughs> like, he really likes this thing a lot. And uh, I've usually, uh, I spent my whole life not being smart enough to know that that was happening and I'm getting older now, and I'm, like, able to, Don't feel sorry for me.
2: Bozak.
3: Bozak.
0: <laughs> I'm able to recognize it happening. And so, at first, it's, like, if if, you, if you're very sensitive, if there's any reason why your mind might be more sensitive to things in your environment, uh, if you've done anything that might make your mind more sensitive, that can be <laughs> a lot... Hard, it can make that, uh, that moment a lot harder to, to deal with. But for the most part, I just kind of, like go through it and <laughs> you're like yep i know what you mean people uh
4: like irony more than sincerity a lot of the time yeah it's a comfort blanket so i get it i get it i totally get
0: it and so that's why i instead of feeling bad about it just uh try to deal with it as it's happening yeah that's for the best but you know, you know and to go through it but um that's not the reason because I'm I'm not shying away from Varys because he <laughs> he he feels something. I'm shying away because okay, I see what you mean. Because his he, he he just wasn't able to hold together. Like there's this moment in other stories, like where the like where Quirrell is telling Harry about like his mm-hmm. master plan, that, that that kind of stuff. It's just like all right, back it up a little bit, guys. Calm calm it down. Just a little bit.
1: We just we just watched Wrath of Man in the movie theaters, and that guy is stone cold. That's like what he, sh- I like. that's that's like <laughs> that's I feel like I you're like. coming off of that energy. It's the main character guy is like doesn't flinch. His personality doesn't change once through the whole movie. He just is stone cold as he's out yeah. there killing people. I so that's that. what you want. Well,
0: I get that it's not reasonable. <laughs> I just sort of gave that uh, that sort of concept to Varus because that's what he says. He goes, "I do this all for the realm," and I'm thinking like, okay maybe he's gone through enough bad stuff that he realizes there's not really anything Mm -hmm. left in it for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to use the math and my awareness to try to get the most fair and fruitful for everyone. Like he always says it's for the people uh, to come out of this successful. And to me, he was way too personally invested in what he just did. Hello.
3: Sorry guys. There's cats. Rubbing it. It
0: was so nice. Uh, um, uh, What was I going to (laughs) say? She's stretching so cutely. Very
3: used the way he does stuff
0: it's i thought he was going to help i thought he was trying to help people but instead it seems like he also has an agenda mixed in there so it's less of a mathematical uh situation that's helping everyone more where like i said before he found the moment to lash out and, and mm. when he did it was so violent and mean and nasty and he opens the window and, like, he's, he's like, oh, it smelled bad. And, like, so his attitude sure, is Sure, he hates the sight of blood and he hates mm-hmm. the smell of shit. It's just. Keep your
3: hands like, clean. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: It's just the attitude was not, it was heartless. And uh, it wasn't as helpful to, to everyone as it seemed. Because. I mean, for the most part, I think that Kevin was probably the most helpful to all human beings in this scenario, trying to unite the houses in a way that created less turmoil and less grabbing and more like where everyone had to be even as possible. Well, that's, firefighting.
3: Let's call it firefighting. Sure, <laughs>
0: sure. <laughs> He's but,
3: firefighting. He was a damn good sure. firefighter, though. At the end, there. You're,
0: you're right, and uh, I just don't think that Varys is Varys wants to let it burn. You know, he wants, sure. to, and that's not really helping that many people. Mm-hmm. who is that really helping? So I, I just think that he's not really telling the truth about what he desires and um
3: I think he revealed his blind that's spots. It. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sure. was what he did. He he revealed that they are on tunnel vision for Aegan and they couldn't possibly see something mess up their plan. Ha <laughs> ha unless Right. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Question. Do you guys think that John Con is gonna be Important to the end game, like to the whole end game of the story. He's a character that came later in the books. He's got enough uh, skeletal backstory to make us feel something. He's interesting for a handful of reasons. Um, he's obviously connected to moments throughout history that has been referenced since the beginning of the story. He's a living figure of history almost. He's not that mm-hmm. old, but like I know what him, you mean, yeah. him leaving and coming back and all that stuff. Does that mean he's got a seat at the table or is he featured in like the sack clothes? Like, no way. That
3: bitch got grayscale.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. But he he won't just get it surgically removed with a sharp knife. <laughs> I don't settle down there, Jora.
3: I uh, I don't know, Emmett. I, mean, I think you'll probably have a lot of good thoughts on this because I think every character is important in their own way. <laughs> just to put that out there, even right? if I don't like them, they all have an importance. Why don't you all have men's a lives have meaning. Write for Quentin. Of every character. Mm, true. I uh, love that line. He's a professional broken man. <laughs>
2: You
4: know, yeah, yeah professional true.
3: broken man for hire. So, well, I think that's important.
4: The Robert's Rebellion generation legacy you were talking about earlier. we see that with Ned and Robert, we see that with Duran and Oberyn Jamie, Barbary Dustin, and John Connington's another uh, incarnation of that. Um, I think he's gonna get swallowed up in the plot. I think he's gonna probably do some terrible things, including to his family. He's got a couple of hostages, and he seems as he said, he's got to be more like Tywin uh, this time to win. Uh, he's another one of his characters who thinks he's got to be more like Tywin because that's what Miles um, uh, Toyne told him that, you know, John Connington sent in exile, there's nothing I could have done to beat Robert. And Miles Toyne says, yeah, I mean, you could have burned the whole town to the ground. Yeah, That would have taken care
0: of Robert. So do you think he's learned enough from the Battle of the Bells that if he's come back well, and I got think a chip on his shoulder? I think
4: he's learned that. I the think that's what he thinks. I think, he's, I I think he's learned that he um, needs to be more ruthless if he wants to win. I don't think he's wrong about that. I just think it should make him think twice about winning.
3: Yeah, what he's doing.
4: Which do- dovetails with Varus, I think. Um, but I, I think with all these guys, it's like there's a temptation to compare them to a good standard that doesn't exist. Like there aren't any good people in power. I mean, the Starks aren't either. Like, you know, the Starks acquired power in the North by murdering everyone around them until they met the knee. Like, that's you know, that's how all these people acquired power. So I think they, they each have their own interesting and distinct uh, approaches to try to solve the problem. But I think it's... Uh, it's interesting to evaluate them all on their own. I think, and there's you know, there's there's not. They're all going to fail to live up to the standards. So I think then you can kind of see what makes them each individually interesting in that way. And yeah, I think John Con is um, yeah, I agree with Chloe. He's a professional broken man for sure.
0: Part of me feels like Fagin will Joffrey him, not by killing him, but by making a decision like when he did it with Ned where it was like oh yeah I'm the pawn watch me become the player in this moment and
4: Fine.
0: he might force our boy John Con into a weird scenario where he's like but I've had this whole plan and you were supposed to be someone that I was basically training this whole time and now that sure. Henry every- and Falstaff I could see that What was that? Henry and Falstaff
4: Yeah the um Henry V uh, the young prince and heavily uh, done in the Shakespeare plays where Falstaff is his old drinking buddy mm-hmm and his older mentor, and then when Henry becomes a proper king, he has to say, I know thee not, old man, and turn mm. his back on. So uh, Aegon could have something like that. I don't know, with John Connor, even with Varys, but something like that could happen for sure. Um,
3: Definitely those two, because Illyrio's going to be taking a little trip, I think.
4: <laughs> it's true. do um, uh, Exactly. Uh, what a snack.
3: <laughs> Jesus. Christ,
0: That's how Drogon gets bigger. <laughs> Drogon's like, I can finally evolve now. With so the full stage. Allie likes our combo, I think. Good girl. She's like very lulled by the the sounds of our voices. It's like they sound like they're doing okay. They've all been, it's been a while of uh, the she sort of. up on good
3: vibes. Yeah, so you exactly. know what they're talking about.
0: The same approach. No one's <laughs> yelling, is. no one's laughing yeah. too much, yeah. no crying. Very simple. Um, I'm just going to keep running us through some of these questions that I have because I'm looking for this opportunity to get everyone's opinion on stuff while uh, I have you all forced sure. here. Yeah. What do you guys think about Dragonstone? Because the mentions of Dragonstone to me felt a little too heavy, heavy-handed at this point in the story. Felt almost like some retconning of a uh, previous simplicity in the story. And George might be opening up the opportunity for Dragonstone and what is inside of Dragonstone to become more interesting down the road.
4: I think a lot of it is that the uh, the people talking about it in this council don't realize that the real treasure there is the Dragon Glass, is the Obsidian. Mm. So for them, they're just you know they're overlooking what's really valuable there. And I think you know we already. We as readers already know that because that's been talked about uh, up in the north of how important dragonglass might be. So I think that's what they're, they're hinting at there. Although who knows what's up with Loras. That's definitely a, a lingering mystery that they allude to here. Yeah,
0: that's a little uh, package just waiting, to, waiting
4: for us to unwrap. Sure. To I see the I think I'll we'll have to wait implications. for the probably to show up on Dragonstone before we know the full truth.
0: You know, you haven't mentioned uh, anything about cave paintings or you know, anything like that that might be oh, important like to the cave story. cave
3: sacks? Yeah, cave sacks, <laughs> Like cave John paintings. Aris?
2: Mm.
3: Sean Aris is that oh we're not I'm just kidding <laughs> from no. the esteemed hit <laughs> HBO experience
0: Game of Thrones we've waited two years for this finale
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot about Dragonstone that comes up in the epilogue uh, the Loras stuff is honestly the one thing that yeah. I just don't know I have no clue how that's going to pan out I, uh, the only Tyrell I really expect expect to make it all the way to the end is Emmett's boy Willis Rip to Emmett's boy Garland. I'm very sorry, but I swear we don't have to go into this, but it's a good debate. It's a good debate. Hmm. But I think Willis will survive. So I'm just like, what's going to happen with Loris? But I think uh, something that I've been thinking about is... Dragonstone's probably really bare and not decorated very well right from uh, Stannis's regime. I'm yeah. sure it's dark and you know he's probably pulled all the fun stuff down. So oh, I'm yeah. hoping it's that Stannis Yeah, and I'm hoping Danny's going to come back from the free cities from the east with after probably sacking a few places, maybe Pentos, you know, they're not set up with armies. Uh, so who knows, but maybe she's going to bring back some real hit stuff and do some home decoration, some interior decorating. That could be the last chapter of the winds of winter. I just want to see some mirish rugs and tapestries up there.
1: I don't know. Well, like the idea of, uh, Dragonstone coming back to life now and like being yes. really being re-inhabited and yes. with dragons and all that kind of stuff, like some real life brought back into it. That's, that's a cool the thought. The music of the night again, yeah, just yeah. like at the end
3: of Game of Thrones with mm-hmm. the music of dragons. But Dragonstone, I mean, let's face it, these reigns were alive in some of these stories we've read from George. A lot of the same issues and disparity going on in their kingdom, but – uh it was definitely a livelier time when the targaryens were reigning mm-hmm. and beautiful and they had as danny says what she wants right like that she wants to have beautiful people that are happy and beautiful plump and fed and she wants there to be girls and boys and dancing and songs in the streets and which of course that's a beautiful fantasy uh, not for this nation right now. They need. They need some goddamn infrastructure is what they need. But
0: yeah, I could use some infrastructure.
3: Yeah, I like infrastructure. I like the idea of that castle coming to life from Dragonstone, going from bleak to laying out some cheek. gorgeous, bleak to, cheek. Bleak to chic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go.
0: You guys could really enjoy uh, Hannah and Chloe, uh, Game of Thrones, sorry, A Song of Ice and Fire Sims. Yeah, y'all oh, y'all I- both play Sims very seriously.
1: I'm a new Sims player, though, so we can't talk shop. Oh, I have so much to teach you. Don't worry. Yeah,
3: <laughs> Stick you around, do. Hannah. I do have an a song, of, like some fire playthrough. So mm-hmm. do you really? Yeah, it actually oh, got pretty cool. crazy. Cersei uh, and Robert got divorced on their own through character progression from story Ooh, version. And then Stannis and Celise got divorced, too. And I was like, this is good. This is this fun. <laughs>
0: He'll pay <laughs> happier in mm-hmm. the end. <laughs> Gotta send
3: them to therapy next. I'm thinking. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. Why is Randall Tarly the real danger? I mean, I think we know that from Kevin's perspective, he's the one that's more likely to just say, screw it and knock the pieces off the table and just switch to violence. But do we think that there's a part of him that, I don't know, makes him more scary than everyone else that plays at his level of
4: characters? I think it's like the Stannis level of thing where he's clearly willing to, um, uh, he doesn't really care about being liked, so there's no telling what he'll do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with Mace as kind of the Robert... Uh, in that relationship i guess where randall is like the second in command who increasingly resents um but yeah i think uh, yeah kevin realizes probably that randall is the actual soldier of the two because uh he's the one who beat robert back in the day mace wasn't the one who actually did that <sighs> um, i don't know if uh kevin is picking up on randall maybe turning cloak but mm-hmm. i think he does he does realize that randall is the uh probably the more powerful dude in the reach for the long term
1: I like the idea of, as we think about Randall and potentially turning cloak or jumping over to Aegon's side or things like that, you think about Sam, who's obviously, well, not obviously, but will likely fall more into the Daenerys camp of things. And then his dad's on the other side Mm -hmm. and kind of what might happen between the two of them as we talk about Sam's hero trajectory or hero arc, you know, kind of having him on the other side of his dad, who's, like you said, powerful and a little bit... um, awful yeah Yeah.
4: so if if Randall turns on Mace but then Sam has to team up with Willis and Garland Mace's sons against Iran that could cause some real awkwardness
0: Something we haven't talked about. I know we the Paxter Redwines mentioned, and I'm thinking about what he's what he's doing, and I'm curious as to. And I'm, I totally got sidetracked because of what happened to Kevon. You know, ha, just making me not think about their strategy for five, fifteen, twenty minutes at the end of the chapter. But at first, I was really thinking about whether or not this plan would work and c- having their attention toward Euron and trying to also handle po- political stuff with John Con and uh, Fagan moving up from the south not thinking about Doran again, which usually is fine, but definitely at this point is a mistake. Um, we, we haven't talked at all about whether or not and when or not Euron would start his fellowship with Cersei. I, uh,
4: I doubt that's happening in the books. You don't think so with you? I don't, I don't see what Cersei would offer Euron that he'd want. What was the quote?
0: I forget where it's from, where, uh it's it's mentioned where he's ruling the sea, and uh, I can't remember. Um, I think either Matt or Jen talked about it in our last episode, um, about basically the Westeros being held by me and then your family controlling the sea or something like that. Kraken and someone else.
4: Sure. I see why Cersei would make that offer. I just don't know why Euron would say yes, when his plan is to just conquer absolutely everything. Right. Hmm. He doesn't really need, like, you know... I think there's a point where Euron just doesn't need friends, you know, or isn't going to yeah. be looking for friends. He's just going to be looking for meat.
3: He's certainly not trying to make them right now, Mm-mm. is right. what I'm hearing.
4: <laughs> I mean he's he's got his his own his own useful idiots, and I think after that, I think I think man, I think Danny, if if, if Euron is going to try for any lady, I think it's going to be Danny. I don't think that's going to work. But he won't be attracted. Danny has dragons. You don't
0: think he'll be attracted by the fact that King's Landing is still such a institution, and he's kind of been left out of it, even though he's definitely one of those players. You know, I, don't like think, s- I don't think
4: Cersei's going to be in a position to offer him King's Landing, and I think Euron would rather just yeah. take it. Mm. Cersei has her handful. Like right. uh, I'm sure. sorry, but
3: Dorne and the Tyrells and Aegon descending, I just think that's too much plot in one area yeah. of the mm. map at once. And, and I because think,
4: the show didn't have any of those, Euron could stand in and sure. yeah. be a part of that plot. Well, mm. and
3: the other idea is like, so Euron is out there in the Reach in the southwest, which that takes armies, right? So if Randall decides to leave the Reach and the the main Reach faction helping them and divert his armies to Aegon while Euron is just kicking their ass in the West right now. Uh, that's like, that brings Aegon's numbers to like 30K, which, so like Mace Tyrell only has, uh, he's sent most of his army out to Dragonstone, right? If I recall, some of his armies out there, he has like 12,000 with him still.
4: I think he split in half, because Willis and Garland have a huge number of men too. Half the Reach army went yes. back with Garland to originally take Brightwater Keep for his own, and then they're still in the area. So Mason Randall, I think between them, yeah, they they might have somewhere between 20 and 30 K dudes. I'm not entirely sure.
3: They um, have around 50 K left in the Reach after Stannis, the few you know that stayed with Stannis or went sure, to the Sure, sure, or died of the Blackwater. yeah. They had like 40 to 50, and I wanna say about twenty-five K of that is Randall's. And then the rest is like split with most in the reach and like 12,000 left with Mace that he has. Some of them hanging out in King's Landing, but he's now sure. taking them to go meet in the field. So if you take all of Randall's numbers away from that, 10,000 men's not a lot when you're looking at Aegon coming with, at the start, 8,500 people, right? He doesn't have a lot. He's got like 8,500 to 10,000. Sure. They're the golden 000, company. They're, they're the yeah. elites.
4: And if Randall stabs Mace in the back, yeah, I think that's more than enough. Plus whoever else they can turn.
3: Yeah. Sure, on the way and up. Then, sparrows, Stormlanders, Dornish. But then, Dorn, and they're in the boat That's what way, I mean, too, waiting. yeah. Mm-hmm. All Arianne has to say is yes. And guess what? Dragons. You know, exactly. And guess what else? She's her whole life thought Quintin was, you know, pulling one fast one on her. Mm-hmm. And right now, she doesn't know what happened to Quinton. Yeah, exactly. She might That's not get the that news in time. So you know what she's going to do? She's going to tie her boat to dragons. Well, Try the closest dragon.
2: Hmm. And
3: that's a lot of swords. Once that goes up there, I mean, like, King's Landing has nada. Cersei has nada after that. Uh, She's not in a safe position.
0: So in the Winds of Winter, King's Landing is dealing with the falling action of this nonsense with the sparrows and whoever is currently in charge and with people uh, descending on King's Landing and then the inside being worked out by visitors that are yet Mm -hmm. to reveal their uh, identity and their true plan to people that are inside of King's Landing. So the Winds of Winter is going to be that. That's going to be the whole thing. And then the sack will be at the very end you think? Or at the very that's beginning? That's what, if
3: it happens, I think it would be the uh, the last chapter. I mean, I think Marcella probably does, or not the last chapter of wins. That's that's up in the air. You don't know yeah, who's going to have what, but I mean, it's going to be the end of Cersei's arc, or yeah. the last big King's Landing chapter will probably be that, and maybe an after chapter from R E N After, yeah. you know, Cersei gets sacked, and, I mean, she just can't it's not legally possible for Cersei Lannister to hold King's Landing for more than a book after this shit, okay? Sure. Let's all be frank with sure. each other. I mean, I just, it's going to take some no, magic. Everything's, everything's against her at this point. It, yep. Not looking great. Everything's against her. She's going to burn her own life down one way or another in this, you know, it's letter this way. So like, who knows how Jamie will affect it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that all plays out a hundred percent. I just have all these great thoughts swimming around in this brain waiting for that book. Mm-hmm you know
0: what about having kyburn and robert strong in king's landing does that make the fact that there's some kind of weird i don't know if you would call it it's not magic that he's able to do but he was able to bring someone back did he use a mystery or did he use really good
4: medicine
3: necromancy,
4: necromancy You think i'm comfortable calling it magic yeah okay
3: okay i'd say nice. so with the reveal most people of magic, try to tell yeah. me it's
4: not magic so good it's only
3: mostly so. dead
0: good so how does that change? It's still what you you still obviously what you just said. You still believe like it doesn't make a difference. It's not enough that that is happening.
2: I mean, Aegon descends
3: on King's Landing with forty to fifty thousand swords.
0: Right. So I was to just just stop people from yeah. like uh, hurting them. Yeah, no. To no. stop people from hurting to who? thwart them. Uh, Cersei, Kybern, Robert Strong. Like, will they? Can they build a foundation? that's strong enough to stop people from fucking with King's Landing, or okay. are they toast? I doubt it.
4: Yeah, I think, no, I, I think Cersei's dead by the end of the book, honestly. Damn. Sure. I so think that would be a great dream.
3: curtain fall for, for her sure. story. Whoa, yeah. Okay.
4: It, With you know, ja- the the Valoncar set up and the wildfire right there, the potential for Jamie to stop her before she does another heiress. I think is just, it's just just too perfect for both so of
0: them. So that's what you guys think right now. And when you talk about it at home, it's sort of like an unofficial, you know, just in your... When
3: we talk at home, we argue about timing and we argue about like, oh, but is it the Sauron thing? Or is it rock? this? or I think Cersei will get to Casterly Rock, personally. Okay. I think that it's better. And if the Valoncar does happen that way and the, the slightly younger, you know, does get her, I, I think that's... Poetic for Tywin's children to, you know, go out. But then there's the idea of like also Tyrion's plot around his family is very strongly centered. And like, I think that there has to be something there with Tyrion. And I don't think Tyrion's getting to King's Landing until the end of the book with Danny's crew, right? Like, I don't think they're coming back till the very end. And I think they'll be separate. And that whole conflict, I think, will start at the very end. And that'll be a dream of spring to deal with Aegon and Danny. But I just, Hmm. I think we got to clear the playing field first, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think we just got to, I don't know. I I toy with it. I'm 50-50. Cersei could somehow, very stupid luck, get to Casterly, somehow Sauron-style survive and be the last evil to defeat. Mm -hmm. And Daenerys takes her dragons (laughs) and she torches Casterly and Tyrion's like, I actually loved my siblings after all. Who knew? It couldn't have (laughs) been my POV that told you this. Right. Uh, I I think it's got to be
4: King's Landing at the end on that Casterly rock. Yeah. I think that's got to be where the... The the climax is because we haven't even been to the Rock, um, and yeah, I mean, I, Cersei, yeah, Tywin's t- kids turning on each other in their family home does make sense, but I think the wildfire with Cersei and Jaime is just, just mm-hmm. too strong an association. I think that has to be um, my guess is yeah, that's that's where the climax happens between the two of them. So is Jamie dying too in this situation? Supposed to right? I mean, I don't know. I, that's an, that's an excellent question. I'm not, I'm really not sure what Jamie I think is a really open ended character in the books in part just because mm-hmm. he's changed so much in George's uh, writing process. So. I think Cersei. I'm confident in saying Jamie kills her at some point. I think probably King's Landing. Jamie himself. I honestly don't know. He's a character. I think there
3: are a lot of questions. I've got like his first half of T. Wow in my head mapped, and then halfway <laughs> through, I'm like, I don't know, up in the
0: air. You really do. What's in that in my head? Be like? yeah, yeah, man.
3: I know. Me and Jamie, we go way back. You know, my least favorite character. Uh, <laughs> all of anyone listening that are our friends will be like, Chloe loves Jamie Lannister. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. Are
0: they getting out of the scenario with? Uh, Is it going to be a fight or are they going to be let out or is it going to be interrupted by a third party?
3: I don't know. I could see them like as her. I think it's really fitting for her to just escape King's Landing with her life and her children dead. Mm -hmm. You know, like
0: her. Well, I I still have me. (laughs) Sorry, I meant Jamie and Brienne.
3: (laughs) Oh, Jamie and Brienne. Oh, they're Porkin in The Winds of Winter, man. They're going to skirt their duties, you know. Look, here's my master master plan. Let's hear it. You know, my mercy theory. Which one? The one about Arya coming back to Westeros and what she might have to do. Understanding where the heart is, and maybe killing Mother Merciless. So I kind of think Arya's yeah, probably yeah, gonna kill her mom. That. Yeah, she's gonna have to put down her zombie mom as mercy. That's part of her whole plot is understanding mercy, and you know Sandor said to her, "Do you know where the heart is, girl?" So that's something that I think might happen. But my thought is that while Brienne's supposed to be, you know, uh, doing her duty to Stoneheart, to you know, dealing with Stoneheart as a thing that's come up, it's not like her duty. But you know, Brienne's gonna feel pretty tied to that. She might be losing her honor with a Mr. Lannister Mm, and skirting that. So while she might be, you know, Knight of the Seven (laughs) Kingdoms and Arya might have to kill her mom instead when Brienne had sworn to bring back those girls and, you know, letting a child kill her mom. If that does have this is all just fun, tinfoily, whatever theorizing, but like. having that child be scarred and like having to give her mother, who's not even her mother anymore, you know, the remainder of what she was mercy, you know, and putting her down. That's a thing of Brienne, like not, Brienne could have been there maybe in the Riverlands to save that and do that herself and stop these children from incurring those scars. And I mean, we leave Brienne with saving the children as her, again, this big theme of this book and, uh, feast and saving the children and broken men, Uh, Everything she did to defend those children from Roarge and Biter. And it's just not going to get easier for Brienne, I don't think, in the Winds of Winter. I don't think it's going to get easier for her and choosing between honor and her duty and what she wants. She's never gotten to choose what she wants before.
0: Yeah, it's like a different way to deal with the same problems. But the stakes are higher because she's not just trying to survive. She's trying to optimize.
3: Also, we need a sexy book, too. You know what I mean? We you need think a little sexy going on in The Winds of Winter. We it's need been some. a little too dark for a little too long. I'm a little it's depressed a little after bleak. this dance book that yeah. Emmett loves so much. Yeah.
4: <laughs> so, so, so we're going to have a sex scene instead of saving a traumatized child. This is this is your ray of light in The Winds of fun. Winter. Sexy.
3: sexy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm into.
4: What are you guys most excited about
0: for Winds? Is that it? The sexiness of it?
3: No. I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited to see all the payoff.
4: Okay. What kind of payoff?
3: I meant take it away. You know payoff. What are you excited for? What kind of payoff do, like? kind of pay
4: do you want to see? I, the old town stuff I'm very interested in. I, I would probably say the most. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I, that's cool. I don't know what to think about the old town stuff half the time, so I'm always excited about that.
0: It's so fun to me to, to hear all the different opinions and possible scenarios and how, I don't know, so, so many of them are personally driven and then so many of them mm-hmm. are, are are like hopefully like your understanding of how the mathematics works of everything coming together. And um, it's just, it, it's so fun, fascinating to me because it's its almost like what scholars do with nature in real life. <laughs> but instead, it's, we're doing it with a book, a story that someone else wrote. And it takes me back to what I was saying at the very beginning of the convo where it's like, uh, there was not an activity Uh, for today every day is basically a blank slate and uh your understanding of your life is uh is the mental mental landscape of what's in your head is, is how you live in the world it's so interesting to me how that can be modified by just like uh committing to liking or being interested in small little things and that's one of the things that's so sweet about our fandom and all fandoms really but this one i'm more personally involved in is that uh uh, we all have a reason to be friends and to do stuff together because uh, we're trying to figure out this thing together and it's fun to be at this point at it because the answers aren't aren't there yet like there's there's gonna be a point. Where we have all the answers, and we're still finding ways to use it to hang <laughs> out. Sure, yeah. but right now Absolutely. we're we're still in it, right. mm-hmm. and we don't know yet. So that's really fun. And thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for yes. having yes. us. Absolutely, this has been all really fun, and glad to capture you guys living your best life in your post marital bliss, <laughs> talking about the epilogue of a dance of dragons. Yes, you ready to do one?
1: I was going to say, is that our our own signal? Let's do it. Yeah, I can go first if, I, if we want to kick us off for owns. Um, also, I just got to like give a little shout out that we've spent all this time talking about a song by I We've not talked about Sansa Stark once, even though she's not related to this in any way, shape or form. Not even but in the book. it doesn't matter. So own to me and you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we didn't restrain her up. <laughs> we shut our mouths. Um, I'm going to give my own to Sir Pounce. <laughs> Um, the cutest cat on earth and when Tommen is talking about how the bad cat, quote unquote, was outside of his window and Sir Pounce um, hissed at him and he ran across the roof. So shout out to Tommen and his cats and Sir Pounce specifically. A little bit of a I've, – I've, I already read all my other owns, so that's the one I have left. <laughs> uh, well, I'm
0: looking for mine in the meantime. I'm going to give my own to the bad cat and not Sir Pounce okay. just to be the opposite of what Hannah just said. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Balerian>. <laughs> it's basically Balerion, right? Like, that's supposed to be Balerion. Mm-hmm. The yeah,
4: spirit yeah, yeah. of it? Same as Drogon. Yeah. It's like
3: the cat, the Arya, right. sees the Balerion, and that's what it's expects. So that's like, you know, it's Balerion, The Black Dread. Mm-hmm.
0: I hope that it's the same, like, literally the same soul.
3: Coming for that child. That, cool.
0: <sighs> that would make me happy. And it explains the... Anyway, a lot of things. <laughs> my own is Cersei gave a throaty laugh, long lances, tall towers. Is Lord Tyrell hinting at something?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it. That's my own. What about you guys?
1: Just
0: one? Yeah. So I said the other thing about
4: the cat. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, own to Kevin for getting a little uh, giving that penny to that poor kid who brought him mm. the message. That, yeah. Was, yeah. that was a nice that's a suggestion. Nice guy. He's like, yeah, sorry that those assholes wouldn't let you in. Go find a fire. I'm fine. Aw. Nice little thing on the way
3: out. Rest in peace. Yeah, that's like one, right? Like, own to Kevin, because you fucking thought. You thought, Kevin. You were right there, buddy, finish line. But I don't know. I guess my big own is... I'm going to be the villain owned Varys, right? For his flair, for the dramatics, his penchant <laughs> for drama. The fact mm-hmm. that the three hours Maester Picel was dead in that room with that window open. You know Varys walked back and forth repeating uh, to uh, himself uh, the uh, monologue oh that he was going to read to Kevin. Why do you think he You're waited right. there in the Lol. stinky room and why he opened those windows? He's like, ah, it's getting hard <laughs> to remember my monologue. So owned Varys. That's great. And <laughs> his swaddled feet. Swaddled <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: perfectly. <laughs> I'm going to set up Mike's email because he emails us. He, he promises on Twitter um, that he's going to email us, and he does. He says, Wilson, owned soon, may have been out on the piss last night, so a bit behind. So I just want
1: to call you out, Mike.
0: We're calling you out, Mike. Uh, we'll read your email when we get to it.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, and the next one that comes in from Twitter is from Travis Cole, eight at Straight Savage Cole, who said, my own goes to Mace Tyrell for stepping his vanity game up with the hand-shapen oaken throne after being named (laughs) Hand of the King by Sir Kevin Lannister and for his sick glugger king. And for his sick Gregor Clegane burn, a dog takes after his master in reference to the mountain's men. A few honorary owns, the first to the snow in King's Landing, winter is here indeed. Second to Kevin Lannister as Lord Regent. He reminded me a lot of his brother and the late Lord Tywin hung heavy over this chapter. How fitting for his ultimate demise. And lastly, my man, Lord Varys.
0: For sure. Also, real quick, didn't kind of feel like this was a Stannis POV a little bit too. What this chapter felt like? It just to me felt like a little bit like the
4: second-in-command thing. Because there was snow.
0: Just he just reminded me of Stannis. I don't know. Just his essence. I know that he was less like like Stannis, but it just to me, it
4: was like Stannis. Anyway, I think you could say Kevon is to tie when Stannis is to Robert in
0: some right. ways. Yeah. That kind of yeah. thing. That
3: kind of thing. That's Always there perfect. to save
4: me. I mean, I love you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> his Aesop translator. Yes
0: mike's email i know i'm far too late to get my owns in time for the show but alcohol got the better of me (laughs) well we got you you're here sorry i keep moving the mic right let's start with wow what an ending to the books to the whole series at this point excluding the show of course for a while i was thinking why here why choose this place to be where you end it then it all clicks into place so fast i didn't really find that chapter interesting apart from a few bits here and there felt a lot more like recap more than anything as we hadn't been in king's landing for a while. If you're just reading dance. So it makes sense that it's like this. I love the ominous, clue, ominous clues at the start of the chapter that winter is here. A steady drip, drip, drip punctuated his words as the snowmelt ran off his cloak puddle on the floor. The snow had been falling in King's Landing most of the night. Outside, the drifts were ankle deep. Varys' surprised appearance shook me to my core and his introduction is my own. Then he saw Grandmaster Maester Pycelle was seated at his table, his head pillowed in the great leather-bound tome before him. Sleeping, Kevin thought, until he blinked and saw the deep red gash in the old man's spotted skull, and the blood pool beneath his head, staining the pages of his book. All around his candle were bits of bone and brain, islands, and a lake of melted wax. He wanted guards, Sir Kevin thought. I should have sent him guards, could Cersei have been right all along? Was this his nephew's work? Tyrion, he called. Where? Far away, a half-familiar voice replied. He stood in a pool of shadow, by a bookcase... Plump, pale face, round-shouldered, clutching a crossbow and soft, powdered hands, silk slippers swaddled at his feet. Varus, this is straight out of a horror film. I've and I for one love it. It gave me chills. Wishing you guys all the best, Mike from England.
3: oh Mike, I hope your hangover is not that bad, man.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Mike.
0: They drink right in England. <laughs> he told us he's a he's one of our patrons. He told us on a a comment section on one of our bonus podcasts that. uh they sell six packs of two liter hard cider. That's all they do over there is drink.
3: <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ. COVID must have been crazy for y'all in the UK. Anyway.
3: Prayers for your livers.
1: Um, last but not least, we've got Two owns from Instagram. The first is from Shauna Leaf, who just says owns to you guys for doing this, which is really you sweet. Do. Thank Yay. you. Aww. And then we've got Ali Levine who says, what a chapter stock full of nuance, suggestion, nod and foreshadowing. I'm going to give my own to Randall Tarly, who has been referenced since the game of Thrones and finally made a big splash in this chapter, spending his time downplaying threats to Tommen's throne and silencing alarm bells. Randall Tarly over and over tries to suppress qualms about Egan and the golden company attacking the East through the council meeting and it stinks of thou dost protest too much. I subscribe to the theory that Randall Tarley is a quote-unquote a friend of the Reach and will be revealed that he is on the other side of Aegon and Co. and is using his position to gain time for Aegon. It's not a new theory or mine, but it, but my take is that it sets up nicely a father-versus-son dynamic. Samuel, loyal to John will surely be on the side of Daenerys when his father will stand by Aegon, as we were kind of talking about earlier. Um, I see this as being the opportunity Sam needs to defeat his father, as Danny will definitely beat Fagon and complete his arc from Craven to Hero. Sometimes I say things on the podcast and I realize I was just copying what people's owns were coming yeah. in. So Ali, <laughs> what we were talking about earlier, complete his arc from Craven to Hero, setting him up as a major player after the second dance. Also, shout out to Cersei for trying to get Tiana Merriweather back. Is <laughs> she trying to get some sexy time in the Mirror Swamp, or is she trying to nick the head off a front of me or fair weather friends? Hey, who knows? Why not both Too we're much. Cersei's concern? The answer is yes. <laughs> So thank sexy you. Sexy and
2: scary. <laughs> T-wow. Sexy, <laughs> sexy, violence.
1: So thank you everybody sexy, to sending in your own. If you want to send in your own, if you have thoughts on this chapter or on ch- future chapters, you can send us your own in a variety of different ways. You can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on OnlyFans by looking for a Game of owns yes. Or you can send us an email to contact at
0: you say the next chapter yet? No. Follow along with our reading order. A Feast of Dragons combined reading order of Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons. The next chapter. The Queen's Hand. And we all knew that. As, he was banished he was from the King's Guard. Unrightly. They're making room for Joffrey's dog. It's the wrong move. You unleash Barry onto the world and you're all gonna pay. <laughs> you're all gonna second, pay.
1: It's our second to last chapter in A Feast with Dragons. So if you want to catch up on the reading order now you can find that at afeastofdragons.com we got two chapters left in Immor- our reading order
0: immortalize your owns in our podcast history I mean all you have to do is just send an own in for those chapters so read it tell us what you think about it they're coming up next Chloe I looked at Emmett when I said Chloe <laughs> Emmett <laughs> <laughs> I looked at Chloe when I said Emmett uh, can you tell everyone about your podcasts Yeah. Uh, I mean uh, you guys are brilliant um, awesome. I love I love both of you Back at Um, you, buddy. It's been a treat being friends with you all for these past handful of years and see what you've done with your interest in books and of helping people come together and hang out and have a good time. The vibes are always high. Your hearts are always full. Well,
3: thanks so much for having us and for having me back. I haven't been back for a while since Mm -hmm. our our Grey Mist adventure. Is that really the last time? It's literally been since like 2017, 2018 (laughs) or some crap. So I don't know. 2018, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about getting
4: old and remembering stuff. Fire and blood,
0: you both were on in my house. That's right. We We did fire and blood. We we just kind of talked about it. We didn't go in too deep. But yeah, Yeah.
3: good point. But uh, otherwise, it's been a while for the whole whole shebang. So thanks for having me back. We had a blast. Uh, I am on a podcast called Girls Gone Canon. I am one half of that podcast. My other host, my uh, other half, my better half is Eliana. You might know her from Maester Monthly as well. We cover. We have a POV reading order as well, but ours is- uh, it's so cool. It's a surprise. You're not going to know. We do POV by POV. Right now we're on Catalan. Uh, we've covered a pretty good amount of the books so we're finishing up cattle we'll be doing that till october and until the next pov
0: if i can cut in just for a second say that is one of the cool cooler ways i've heard the story talked about because it allows you guys to not only focus on the growth of one person But to also transform yourself into different mindsets by jumping through different parts of the series, it's like ours is just a combined thing in the last two books. But they're like all supposed to be on the same timeline anyway.
3: It's thematic too, right? Like you guys have a lot of great themes. We talked a lot about what's coming up in uh, uh, Daenerys Ten. Not to spoil, but you have two episodes left. I think everyone can figure out one one eight and one one nine. Okay, Uh, but uh, you know, like a lot of these themes do come together in the end. And uh, uh, I mean the Feast with Dragons reed, you know, the Boiled Leather Read the this, the that. Those are all such fun things that came first. So they were inspiring to us, definitely, too. Yeah. We uh, we were inspired by that, but we do a lot of thematics, a lot of logistics. Uh, before Catalan, we did Davos, right? And we wanted to really bring two characters connected with the sea who lose their children over a throne, right? And maybe not a throne for Catalan. It's more than a throne, right? Uh, but it... it it's interesting. It's an interesting parallel to kind of explore and their seafaring ways throughout their plots of uh, kind of becoming companions to speak to kings in diplomacy. So we're having a blast. You can check us out on wherever you stream podcasts. Just look us up. Girls Gone Cannon.
0: Also, we're starting a Heroes podcast. Real oh, Spanish. yeah. Me and Zach
3: are starting a Heroes podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you
4: get your Twitter and such?
3: Oh, no. Thanks, Emmett. What would I do without him? Truly, really. <laughs> so Yeah, you can grab us over on Twitter. Girls Gone Canon. I'm on Twitter at Lies and Arbor. Uh, I do a lot of tweeting. Is it always about a song of ice and fire? No, it's a surprise. You have to come find out.
4: And I'm on a podcast called Not A Cast with uh, my co-host Jeff, better known as Brendan Beefish. He's taken a couple months off for work. In the meantime, I'm doing weekly episodes with guest hosts on a variety of topics as well as uh, audio and text posts of my own. So you can find us uh, on Podbean, on Spotify, on iTunes. If you just search Not A Cast or Not A Podcast, we'll come up. You can find us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash notacast, A-S-O-I-A-F, where we do a lot of bonus episodes and early releases for people. And on Twitter, we're uh, at notapodcast, or actually at notacast, A-S-O-I-A-F, and I'm at Quentin. That's P-O-O-R-Q-U-E-N-T-Y-N. Although if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably know all about Quentin Martell anyway. So that's where you can find me.
0: We'll have all these links in the show notes or the podcast notes section on wherever you're listening to this. I think something that you're doing right now on Patreon – that is so badass. Is you're basically treating it like uh like you are a, a, a journalist or an author that covers whatever they want to write about and breaks down whatever whatever they want to write about, and instead of trying to to do it in a way that gets you noticed and gets you uh like hired by people, okay. you're already, you're already being paid by people, sure, and so you're just. Kicking an ass. Thanks, and, like, buddy. I really appreciate you have, that. Like, no, a, I get you. you have a reason to do it mm-hmm. because you're getting paid for it and because it's fun, but Instead of it being riddled yeah, with yeah, all the normal
4: you. bullshit that people riddle <laughs> their work with, it's just good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, you know buddy. I mean? That it's, means a it's, lot. To, it's real. for me to hear you say. Thank you so much. That's, well, it's, that's, it's, that's the goal, and I'm having fun. It's so.
0: really cool that you're doing it, and I know that everyone that reads it really appreciates it. I know, I know that I do. So I hope that you keep doing that. Thank you, buddy. Really I cool. like
4: writing for me and for the people who read, and not for anybody else. So. Well, you pay attention so Thank much. Thank you for to, saying so.
0: To uh, you know these things from uh, properties. What is on my phone? You pay it. You have a deep attention that you're patient enough to share with all of us with your words Ball and with, with the way that with the, with the, how you talk on your show and with how you write. And so it's cool. It's a shame Thank that it so has much. to be behind a paywall, but it makes total sense. Wow! I'm glad that you're not trying to make you, like. Uh, Please hire me with uh, name of a fucking newspaper or a website. Well, it's not about that's that. The, point. the Washington Post. I, I get <laughs> it. That might be the point for you, but like you're doing awesome work and you're getting paid for it, which I think is having awesome no work.
4: Having no middleman is a wonderful yeah, thing. That's, that's what I mean. That's, that's very true. You without a Thank middleman and maybe
0: so. even with a middleman, but you without oh, sure. a middleman is a beautiful thing. I, Thank I you, Zach. It. Yeah. I, I love like you, me. buddy. Thank I you for you saying too. so. That's real I love nice. both you guys. This was fucking that awesome.
3: It's real great to watch you be passionate on some of these other things that aren't a song of ice and fire. And right. uh, Emmett's doing really awesome work over on the Patreon, putting out weekly episodes on Lord of the Rings, which I know is crazy. Uh, oh, look, a subset of our fandom here. Everybody likes Lord we of the do. Rings. You yeah, know, whether you've watched it, you've read it. from it. Yeah. We're that's, born out of it. That was a big fantasy. Th- it's a big fantasy series. And uh, I know that's like, that's the money right there. That's the money shot. Emmett's out here. He does his beautiful episodes on Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, damn, them patrons are getting some good stuff. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I'm not even a huge Lord of the Rings person. Mm. I let him do that, right? Like that's one thing <laughs> I let him have instead of me having. There's only room for one Lord of the Rings fan
1: in this Yes, yeah, so in this a division house, of labor yeah. sort of thing. Uh, but
3: he does a goddamn good job of it. So you guys got to go check it out at the Nauticast Patreon.
4: Well, y'all are very sweet. And yeah, Girls Gone Canon obviously does an amazing job, not only with A Song of Ice and Fire POVs, but also talking about the His Dark Materials series by Philip Pullman and the other books that are part of that universe. They do an equally great job with that. So you should definitely check them out.
3: Thanks. Um, We just finished a book, actually. Which one? Uh, The first Book of Dust, La Belle Sauvage. It's from the Companion Trilogy. There's the OG Trilogy, OG3, and then there's the Companion Trilogy. So we're actually going back to the original His Dark Materials series, finishing the Amber Spyglass right now. Mm -hmm. We've covered a lot of the novellas for special bonus content on Patreon, but uh, then we're going to go to the Companion Trilogy and finish that out as it finishes, because he's got to finish one more book. So. Just one. We only have to wait for one in that series. <laughs> <laughs> Must right. be nice. And it's a good adaptation on BBC HBO.
0: <laughs> is it really?
3: You got to watch it. It's no, great.
0: I, we've talked about it, but you're yep. officially saying it oh, is it's good. <laughs> okay, good. It's
3: good.
2: Got
4: it. I just wanted yeah. to know. <laughs> You'll like it. Now it's your fault if it doesn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or you take credit if it pops. Yeah. Exactly. That? That's the risk. There's that. <laughs> uh, this was awesome. Anything else you want to add?
1: Nothing. I just had a great time. Yeah. Hope everyone listening checks you guys out. Everybody already. It's, yeah. <laughs> everybody knows what's up already. So. so soon, we're gonna.
0: mean, yeah. we're at the end of this reorder so like we're trying a whole bunch of new stuff soon. So we'll
1: see you for winds and winter. Yeah, we'll. Heck yeah,
0: we got stuff to do.
3: They're blowing. Bye, everybody. See you later. Welcome to my ASMR channel. Yeah.
2: Tap it. Good. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everybody.